Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It's another one of these, everybody. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Summer 80 week 84. Four. Yeah. That's the week I was born. That is true. Hey, let's find out what the number one episode was the week you were born. <laughs> I can't wait. This is exciting. We should have done a quiz. We should have done the whole show offline, which would have been good for everybody, and just had just- a quiz. I know we've discussed this, but do you remember what the number one song was the week you were born? <clears throat> was it Wham? Was it Wham? Maybe it was Wham. Was it Wake Me Up Before You Go Go? That could be worse. Hey, everybody knows how this goes. Uh, last week we ranked the series in order from one to four. This week we're going to do it in the opposite order of that. So we're starting with TNG because they lost last week. Yeah, a rare and this loss. Week we. And yeah, I actually looked. This is the first such TNG clip that I have. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so the last time they lost was before we started doing this. <laughs> uh, play the loser. God, that's a long time ago. Uh, kind of. For a while, we just did Enterprise no matter who lost, but yes. Yeah. Uh, this week we watched Data's Day. <laughs> Be sure it's true when you say, I love you, darling, because, because you know it's a terrible sin to tell a lie. So many, oh, so many hearts have been broken, and all because, because these words was spoken man you <laughs> so old yellow eyes obviously um is patrick stewart doing an accent what's he doing there uh it's pretty wild uh first of all he says because 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 <laughs> Wait, what these words were spoken yeah I don't know. It's the first of all, it's the fucking opposite of sexy. Oh god, so. yeah. And then you got fucking Spiner vocalizing in the back, and it's just yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Now it turns out that the original, whoever mixed that album originally, was maybe not fond of it because it's very quiet. Uh, so I did have to compress it. But uh-huh. uh, Patrick Stewart is very distracting. That sounds like, and that so was... it's very easy to concentrate on what he's saying. But if you listen to Spiner in the background. He's just going ham. <laughs> he really was. Right there. And it sounded like it was compressed and injected from somebody's butthole. <laughs> there you go. Is that what you meant? So it turns out that Data has been exchanging letters with Commander Maddox, who you may remember tried to have him ordered to submit for disassembly. 
Yeah, so he could build a whole race of Datas. Um, but now he's mostly concerned with Data's feelings about friendship. So that's going to be what's happening here. Uh, did um did Data say did Data say that that's what Maddox was asking about, or did he just jump in and say like, "Here are my thoughts on friendship"? Nah, he said he said it. Did he ask about it? So bad. Yeah. Uh, so Data's going to tell him all about his whole day, and he's picked today because today he is acting as the father of the bride in a wedding. Mm-hmm. Whose wedding? Keiko's wedding. Uh, TNG viewers don't know who that is yet, but we do. So he shows up at Keiko's quarters, and the first thing she tells him is, the wedding's off, go tell Chief O'Brien. <laughs> That's right. This is on you. Yeah. Um, she tells him that, um, you know, Miles will probably be just as relieved as I am. And because Data is a fatuous idiot, he goes and tells O'Brien that he has good news. Hmm. Uh, later, he goes to the transporter room and receives a Vulcan ambassador, Tapel from the Zhukov, and takes her to see Captain Picard. Then he goes to watch Jordy get a haircut and to try out some jokes. It really is bad because of the framing device of this episode that we do have to see Data waste a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, Jordy explains the concept of cold feet to him. Uh, and then even though the wedding has been canceled, he does go to the ship's shopping mall to pick out a gift for the O'Briens. Yeah. And Worf is there, and they look at some crystal swans and shit, and Worf scares him about how he hates wedding because of the dancing. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to hover over a woman in the middle of giving birth to ask Dr. Crusher to teach him to dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, then he goes back to the bridge, and Picard asks him to run a tactical analysis of Romulan movement along the neutral zone, and then the ship uh, heads off for that very neutral zone. Oh, cool. All right, good. Uh, after the break, I guess some time has passed because he is called into the ready room where he explains to Picard that Romulan ships are deployed to support a policy of confrontation. So, you know, you know how, like, we're constantly intercepting Russian bombers who are just, just flying near Alaska just for fun. Just to just see to what's see. up. Yeah. Just yeah. to see just if anyone's going to gonna gonna shoot going on. at them or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what the Romulans are up to. And uh, the ambassador agrees with Picard that caution is indicated, but she wants to continue her secret mission, the same mission that has Data finger-tappingly nervous on the bridge. <laughs> He goes and feeds his cat. He hasn't named the cat yet, but, you know, it's one of the many cats that will play spot. A beautiful hairy orange cat. And uh, while he's in his room, uh, O'Brien comes and asks him to convince Keiko to go through with the wedding. Apparently those two can't talk to each other. Right. Yeah. Well... Uh, Data's got this one figured out, too, because he goes there and leads off by telling her she has made an incorrect analysis. Yeah. And, uh, this has less than stellar results, probably especially because he keeps chasing her around and wagging his finger at her. <laughs> like, um, uh, like an angry dad bot or something. Yeah, pretty much. Then he goes off and has tea with Counselor Troy, and she tells him to stay the fuck out of it and let them figure it out. That's finally some good advice. Uh, 
he tells her that he's got a whole fucking hope chest under his desk and a vision board and like he keeps replicating and recycling tuxedos because he wants to get married someday. Mm-hmm. And then he gets called by Ambassador Tapel, who asks him to visit her and tries to pump him for information. Yeah, she says, my ship's top speed is warp three. What's yours? Uh-huh. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, hey, what? Hey. Hey, if could Captain, do you think Captain Picard and Counselor Troy could maybe handle this negotiation? <laughs> no reason, just no reason, case, no just, reason. A, just in case, no reason, no reason. I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't doing all this good due diligence. Yeah, like all those, uh, like all those people, she claims it's just that's just a fucking test. When Data says, uh, <laughs> "I have the same ship guards, safeguards as the ship's computer." Yep. Uh, Beverly teaches Data how to tap dance because he forgot to say it was for a wedding, but like. Did she not know he was acting as the father of the bride today? Yeah. She's had a lot on her plate, you know, because of the Juarez baby. I mean, it is true, but, like, was she just like, ah, fuck, I'm busted. Now I gotta teach the robot to hoof it. Yes, well, we know in real life it's because she wanted to show off her cool tap skills. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, now she has to teach him to slow dance, which sucks for everyone. Uh Until it's finally time to go birth that baby. Then he goes back to the bridge... As uh, as Riker is finishing up what must be an HR violation of a joke, yep. and uh, the ship gets to the neutral zone, they immediately detect a warbird and get a text-only message to proceed to the agreed coordinates. So they head on in. They get there. Admiral Mendak hails them. Ambassador Tapel beams aboard over Picard's objection, but whoops! There's a transporter emergency, and O'Brien loses her pattern, and declares her dead. Man, just like his wedding. Declared dead. (laughs) Uh, Beverly scans some green blood on the pad while Data and Jordy tell Picard that the whole thing looks extremely sketchy. Yeah. And Mendak calls and accuses Picard of having played the game extremely well by arranging this accident and (laughs) torpedoing the whole peace initiative. Um, Picard sort of tucks his tail between his legs and leaves the neutral zone, but he hands the investigation over to Data. Mm-hmm. Data goes down and says, hey, did you um, do a DNA analysis on those remains at all? And she goes, what? I guess I can do that. <laughs> and they sure aren't T'Pel. Yeah, she even, when she does it, doesn't want to admit that it's not T'Pel. Yeah. She's like, no, nah, I mean, they're very similar, though. They're real. They're very similar. I mean, it's, it's definitely know, anyone a, could be mistaken for thinking it was Tapel. It's definitely somebody on the Vulcan Romulan tree, for sure. <laughs> uh, Off screen, Data also discovers that a second transporter signal from the Devoris, which is the name of that ship, was active at the same time, and that they beamed her out and beamed some goo in. So Picard orders an intercept. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mendak tells Picard there are no prisoners on his ship. But Picard is, like, sl- slow thinking it, so he doesn't think, why did he say it that specific way? Yeah. Uh, instead, another warbird just decloaks, and Picard tells them he's not leaving without T'Pel. T- and at this point, Mendak calls her over, you know, where she was standing off camera, but he calls her into the middle, and uh, he reveals that she is a Romulan spy, Subcommander Sealock. Yeah, she even changed uniforms and everything. She was not... She- did her hair different. Yeah, she was not going to walk around looking like a Vulcan anymore. Uh, when three more warbirds enter the sector, Enterprise retreats. Uh, Data goes to apologize to Keiko. She gives him a carnation to wear at her weird half-Japanese wedding. Mm-hmm. Which is back on for uh, reasons that we do not see. Yep. 
he dances with her. Then he and Picard stand over the Juarez child, who was born during the showdown with the Romulans, very dramatically. <laughs> Again, off screen. Yep. Uh, then Data goes up and relieves Worf to start the night shift. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what was Data's day about? Here's what I got. Ultimately, there is no foolproof method of understanding people. I guess that's what ties the two plots together, but it's not a hot take, and I gave it a four. Ben gave it a one with androids are not good at social cues. Alternate (laughs) take, women be crazy. (laughs) So he says Data could have been completely absent from this episode. And aside from the narration, nothing would have changed about the outcome of anything. And that's absolutely correct. I mean, he did literally the entire investigation about the Romulans. So I guess the outcome would have been they never even they knew. Just, they just don't know yeah. that they had a spy in their midst. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm between the two of you. I gave it a three. This is a little slice of life episode. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to do anything. But I think that the takeaway is supposed to be something like it's the journey, not the destination. Like, Data ends very positive that he's going to figure it out someday. Oh, yeah, for sure. Despite today's debacles. Yeah, despite all of the fuck-ups today, he's going to figure it out. That's good. This is like a pure world-building episode with the thinnest plot on top of it, so. Yeah. Actually, it's a two. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, flip it around. Tell me about the execution. Was it anything? So, I guess we should start with the fact that Data tells Maddox he has no emotions like 50 times in this letter. Mm-hmm. And he spends the whole episode grimacing and looking back over his shoulders at nothing and tapping his fingers and shit. Yeah. Uh, also, this O'Brien-Keiko marriage has no build to it at all. Yeah, there was no slow snow, slow burn on this. We meet Keiko, no. and we hear about the wedding. All these are sudden things that happen in the first 15 seconds of the episode. Yeah, like the 15 or 16 times that we've seen O'Brien just getting hammered in 10 forward with the boys. Was he dating Keiko all that time? They don't even give us the background in this episode. We yeah. know that Data introduced them. That is all we know. The Romulan plot is slightly interesting, but obviously it's way, way in the background, and uh, all of the physical comedy is broad and uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did so say it was it, a data episode. Yeah, that's true. I gave it a uh, just a four, and that's mostly because the Romulan stuff is, again, at least mildly interesting. Yep. Um, ben gave it a four as well. Um Troy knows the O'Briens are a bad match up front. She could have saved a lot of trouble by saying something. Uh, <laughs> the art of marriage still sucks in the future, I guess, is what he wrote. Um, I was in the same ballpark. I gave it a five. The A-plot is a disaster. Again, introduced to this wedding and one of its participants for the f- first time ever in the intro to the episode. But somehow the wedding's postponement is the stakes as we head into the credits? It's like, oh no, the wedding's off? The wedding we just heard about? Featuring O'Brien and someone we just heard about? Oh no, our good friend Miles O'Brien, Picard's fixer, who, (laughs) when he heard the wedding was off, left to go slap a woman. Exactly. For sure. Oh, he got real Irish up there. Oh, he might get left at the altar. Yeah. And by the way, I'm surprised he didn't... Has he not gone totally 
uh, Underworld yet, given his role for Picard? Did he not just get Picard to order to go through with the wedding somehow? Well, listen, he was running the script. It, it's just that Ambassador Tapel did appear to really die in front of him. Mm-hmm. But, like, that was that's his playbook. <laughs> there was a transporter mouth. I couldn't switch to manual control in time. <laughs> anyway, she's totally dead. Uh, okay, then we get a lot of Spiner, which isn't great. He has to interact with every member of the senior staff, and that... The wedding, again, which was the big stakes, that gets back on track off-screen somewhere without any explanation, so I don't know what happened for the entire A-plot. The B-plot is interesting because it shows the Federation just getting trounced 70-3. to Yeah. And going, well, we're going to burn the game film, and we're going to start fresh. It was a bad effort all around. We'll do better next time. I don't want you guys to beat yourselves up about this. Just go get some rest. Also, for Data's little piece of analysis that uh, Captain Picard never calls Starfleet to ask for advice. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He's going to have to put that in there, but they'll never read it. It won't matter. Um, anyway, that shit happens sometimes, and uh, if it didn't, the Romulans couldn't be much of a threat in the show. So it's good to see them just absolutely school Enterprise today. Um, I like it when the Romulan music starts up in the background. That music from the mm-hmm. Defector starts to get going. Um, so that's that's a good theme. Um, Marjan saw this chick three times. And figured out she was really a Romulan. <laughs> so what's up with the entire Federation that they couldn't get this one? Uh, it was a five for me. I mean, the Federation is used to all kind of different Vulcans doing all kind of different things <laughs> with all kind of different motivations. And I know. All kind of different abilities. So <laughs> it's true. Especially their abilities do seem pretty various. I'm sure but maybe Picard had a question. We know Riker for sure did not like this woman. Oh, yeah. He pulled a, uh, a Zorn on her pretty early on. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure everyone felt like, ah, I'd be racist to say something. Yeah. Uh, flip it around to the world building. Uh, the lights are dimmed on the night shift on the bridge for some reason. Uh, to make people sleepy? I don't know. It's a good question. It seems like exactly the wrong move it's, for people who are doing shift work. Yeah, it's outer space. Like, you don't need to... Yeah, there's no sun. You could... They could probably even have it so that the lights were dimmed in the corridors while all those guys were going home in the morning. Do you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a pretty smart ship. Uh, uh, Data describes a day with four promotions as ordinary, but to me, that I, isn't everyone going to be an admiral before too long? There's four promotions <laughs> per day on that ship? Well, I'm sure it's mostly crewmen. Just getting promoted up the crewman ranks? Also, two personnel transfers. He says it's an ordinary day. He yeah. doesn't say it happens every day, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, do Keiko and O'Brien have like a registry, like a wedding registry in the system? Uh, apparently not. It does not appear that they do. Yeah, because Data and Worf go to pick out a wedding gift, which I think just means going and standing in front of the replicator and then making something appear out of thin air, so I don't know... If you can ever get something personal, like, what are you ever going to say? Like, yeah, I replicated it this morning. Like, that's not cool. I love the idea that Keiko just puts that glass swan that Worf gives them back into the replicator. <laughs> Delete one glass and then, swan. Like, then, like, Worf's like, ah, I'm having Worf over to dinner tonight. And then get she just goes and replicates swan. it again. Yeah, they fucking bookmark <laughs> it so they know which exact one it was. Um... 
why is Beverly's dancing prowess in her service record? I don't know. Uh, it's under um, uh, special abilities. What's that other section on your resume? Uh, skills? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's because she won the St. Louis Jazz and Tap something. <laughs> Just shows that she uh, even has a lot of drive in her off time or something. Yeah. Uh, lots of feline supplements in the computer. He orders number 74. Um, diagnostics. Supplement's a weird word for the main food that the cat eats, isn't it? Uh, maybe it implies that it's not his main food. Maybe that cat just had a big old fucking meal. Maybe he had... Maybe his main food is rats. Maybe there's a lot of rats <laughs> on the ship. <laughs> uh, the Bring Lloydy brought some rats aboard, and it's just been that way. The, the Bring Lloydy, are they the, uh, the drug people? No, they're the uh, Irish. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they would have been the ones, wouldn't they? Yeah, the the not the people who brought the the trading drugs for furniture. I don't remember <laughs> what they were trading them for. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so in real life, computer diagnostics are pretty quick these days. Like when I run my support assist or whatever. Um, but it's much quicker on Enterprise. That fluidic whatever diagnostic data runs oh, in yeah, his quarters. It, it just runs it instantly. Yeah. It was over by the time you finished requesting it. So uh, We are told Andorian marriages consist of groups of four. Groups of four Andorians. I don't know if that means they have to get married like on a double date or if the marriage or if the, the couples are quadruples or something. I think they are quadruples, but he starts with unless... Uh, unless so, or ends with unless but we don't get to find out unless what's under what circumstances they don't have to have four people oh, okay it could just be unless they don't want to uh shran never told us anything about that though no that four that four thing um data says there's no record of any kind of transporter accident like this but like these things break in new and exciting ways all the time like, yeah, but there's never been less residue, but still some residue. <laughs> right. It's just like, they act like, well, I don't know, it's never broken like this before. I'd be like, yeah, I know, it breaks a new way every week. It's Usually not there's cool. like uh, horrible monsters that uh, thankfully don't live very long, or <laughs> uh, just nothing. Half a cylinder or something, all melted. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the Romulans crushed it in this one. They had a, a crazy transporter trick. They played it really cool and got away with it. In the space future, a Japanese bride has to, I guess, hide behind a bush until the father of the bride <laughs> goes and retrieves her from the back of the room. It's symbolic in many ways, I'm sure. Um, and everyone's in a dress uniform there except Troy, of course. Is she really an officer? Doesn't it doesn't it seem like her commission is like temporary or she's a like a brevet lieutenant commander or something? Yeah, I don't buy it at all. Not only does she never wear a real uniform, she doesn't even wear a real dress uniform. She just showed up in a dress. Ridiculous. Um anyway. Some good and some bad in there, so I gave it the standard three. Oh, we're far apart on this one. Okay. Uh I guess let's look at Ben gave it a three also. Uh, yeah. Return of the ambassador class design in the uh, Zhukov. He, he claims it should be called the ambassador class. Badass. Because uh, it's badass. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, why would a bully know anything about barbering if they're bald? Well, that's the same kind of uh, bigotry that I'm sure Mott and his friends have been facing their whole careers. 
He likes Tapel's hat, doesn't like Keiko's hat. It's a tale of two hats for him. That's a good name for an episode. Uh, 1,550 days since Enterprise was commissioned. Some other things that take place on a normal day on the Enterprise. Two chess tournaments and a school play. Nice. Two, te- uh, two chess tournaments. Two chess tournaments. <laughs> uh, Diwali is still celebrated in 2367, mm-hmm. which, if the calendar hasn't changed, means that this episode took place on October 24th. Okay. That's the day that Diwali will be on in 2367. Uh, is that, so that one's one of them variable on our calendar ones? Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of stuff. Neutral zone intrigue, Romulan confrontation, a spy in the Federation. But at the same time, normalization of relations with the Romulans is a believable goal. Like Picard believes that that is an actual mission that they're on. And maybe it is. Yeah. Um, uh, that gifting suite on Enterprise. I think I've t- I think I talked to you about that a few weeks ago, saying remember that room and forgetting that it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> okay, this is kind of my own silver blood incident. Okay, good. That's not as bad because we were only a few weeks away. We've uh, seen silver birth. blood by now, though, right? We saw it already. Uh, no, we still have not. Yeah. Okay. No, sorry. <laughs> giving birth on the Enterprise, the barber shop. Uh. Almost all of the world building in this one is small stuff, but there's a lot of it, and it's really not not outright dumb. So I gave it a seven. Damn! Oh, we were way yeah. off. Yeah. All right. What about uh, what about that character work? So I mean, Data's a joke, obviously. Yeah. I did not like seeing O'Brien blow up about Keiko. Yeah, you know, until now he's been pretty chill. It must yeah. be the Keiko that brings. The power play out of him. I guess so. I wonder if it turns out. We, well, let's watch power play real carefully when it happens, and let's see if it's like. Oddly, it doesn't seem like you were <laughs> possessed. How funny would it be if we see the spirit just bounce oh. off him? Because <laughs> he had a kayaking accident, and his shoulders bum. It won't go inside of him, and then he just acts like it the whole time. <laughs> would be pretty good. Uh, it's just a known thing that Picard never calls Starfleet for a consultation. Yeah. Data just talks about it. Riker comes off as at least insensitive and possibly outright racist. Mm-hmm. And if there's a good execution joke to tell three junior officers at the back of the bridge, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> Crusher's embarrassed about tap dancing. Troy's uh, still on the ship. Uh-huh. Warflex Crystal Swans. Uh, Jordy's real bossy about his flat top. He went back in there a week later to make that guy fix it. Yeah. Well, just a three for me. Okay. Uh, I don't think anybody looks good this week. Who looks good this week? Uh, ben gave it a five. Uh, I pulled out O'Brien ex- inexplicably has Lieutenant Pips on. Data correctly projects that Picard will not take the safest path of contacting Starfleet for further instructions. I mean, I'm not even sure it's necessarily safer. It just seems like it's something that should be required. But I guess it's not. Uh, he forgot Keiko's last name was Ishikawa. I also had no idea what her last name was. Well, this is because it's the only episode where her last name is Ishikawa. And can't Data just download the dance routine? <laughs> yeah, you would think so. I mean, if you can do it in the Matrix or whatever. This is they're not as good as the Matrix. Um, I agreed with Ben. I gave it five. Data writes long as hell live blogs to Commander Maddox. Um, 
he's really worried about this wedding. I don't know why. Apparently, he thinks of O'Brien as a friend, but we don't really see him together that much. He introduced Keiko and O'Brien. Uh, Data has a pet cat, as you said. I don't, I don't think it got a name yet. He spends the whole episode in the action, but I didn't really learn that much about him, except that he does not have the hang of this humanity thing yet, which we already knew. Um, O'Brien is, uh, is getting hitched, but when the lady abruptly calls it off and stops speaking to him, he doesn't get the hint. <laughs> he, just, he just keeps going to her. Uh, Worf says he knows about human weddings, but that he's never participated in one. I assume that means he hasn't been in, like, I don't know, the wedding party or something. Um, then he says a bunch of crap about how human weddings have too much talking and dancing. But look at the mirror, Worf. All that fucking love poetry and hurling heavy objects. That's totally normal, I guess. Well, he prefers... A quiet wedding, just a holodeck full of monsters and a uh, bloody nails in your palm. When you said he prefers, I thought you were going to finish it with Klingon beliefs. Well, he does prefer <laughs> Klingon beliefs. We don't learn that till Deep Space Nine. <laughs> One of the all-time dumbest, most obvious sentences somebody wrote for Star Trek. I prefer Klingon beliefs. Cool, thanks. Um... Beverly doesn't want to be known as the dancing doctor anymore, and I got the feeling she was sneaky tall. Because in her... Uh, she is tapping in heels. In her heeled tapping shoes, she was taller than Spiner. Yeah. And even taller than the stunt double for that one scene. <laughs> yes, the very obvious in uh, in our current uh, format stunt yeah. double. It is mostly Spiner, but there is one overhead sequence where it's a stunt double. Uh, Riker just flirts with a tactical officer while on duty, which is cool stuff. He makes those two other idiots watch. Yeah, he really... He's like, everyone gather around while I impress this chick. Yep. Your colleague. Um, I think in Riker's head, he... My direct report. <laughs> in Riker's head, he he's gonna claim that he knew about this whole spy thing all along because earlier in the episode, he thought that that lady was a bee. <laughs> just because she didn't really want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Picard seems pretty cool with babies. I guess it's children he can't hang with. He was pretty happy about that baby. Uh, I'm dropping it to a four. Well, you know he went down there to wait for someone to come in. So he could say that profound thing about the baby being born while they were at the brink of war. It's true. What else was he doing in there when Data walked in? He's just standing there like staring at the baby. He gave that speech to like a medical technician, but it wasn't somebody who felt, you know, like they could just talk to him back, so... Oh, it wasn't really satisfying he, for him. He gave the same talk to Ogawa or whoever was in there, and she just went, "Yes, sir." And that was it. It's very, it's very profound, sir. And he just wasn't satisfied with that at all. So he waited, and it was Data that came in, and that's great because Data thinks everything Picard does is kind of profound. Yeah, Data, Data's pretty much the perfect audience for. It. He may have called Data there. We didn't see it. <laughs> Could be. Data has changed uniforms. Picard's still in his dress uniform. Yeah, he's been hanging out with that baby for a while. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I don't know if you heard, I dropped it to a four. It's a four now. Oh, I heard and okay. I already made the change. All right. Mm, quick ones? You got some quick hitters for me? Data says, um, he says, my eyes are yellow, so I'm closer to being a banana than a strawberry. Okay, he didn't say that, but he said something nearly as dumb about being closer to a Vulcan than a human. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Bro, you're a robot. <laughs> you're not close to either of them. 
Uh, not only that, but you're a robot made by humans in the image of humans and programmed <laughs> with a bunch of human memories. You're like, for sure, you're closer to being human than Vulcan. Like, definitely, yeah, like, a, definitely, definitely. One of the 50 times he says he doesn't have emotions. And that yeah. means he's closer to being Vulcan than human. Uh, Marjan complained that they were having a, a, a Duali, but she never sees any Indians on the ship. Well, did she look at the bullion? And then we immediately saw the Indian bullion cutting hair, <laughs> and neither of us was satisfied. <laughs> like, oh, the Indian's got to be an alien. I see. Uh, what about Assistant Chief Engineer Singh? I he always say dead, that. I but say... before he was dead... Marjan, if she ever listened to this, would confirm that I said that in the moment. What about Assistant Chief Engineer Singh, who is dead? It is true. Uh, Gene Roddenberry named 55 different characters after his Indian college roommate. <laughs> And he fucking loved Indians, but like, where are they? They are not really. They make up a real sizable amount of the Earth's population, but I guess they don't love Starfleet too much. No. Um, Marjan pointed out that behind Worf and Data looking for a wedding gift was a kid. I was a kid getting a teddy bear. Doing the Build-A-Bunny with his weird blue uniform. Yeah, 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 yeah. Parents, I guess. (laughs) Um... Yeah, they built that cool bunny. Another Marjan's note, but this one was just, she was kind of losing her mind. Marjan's note, what's this cat's name? Patches? No, Patches was <laughs> my friend Dave's dog's name. No, it's cat's name. Cat's name. Well, Patches was the name of the dead kid, uh, the kids with the dead mom's cat. Oh, Aster? Jeremy Aster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I did not even remember that. Yeah. So there was a cat in on the show named Patches. <laughs> Now, we only saw his weird projection. <laughs> yes. Uh, Keiko's written to be pretty emotional in her intro. I don't think that was the best introduction to a character we've ever seen. Data walks in and she's like, the wedding's off and you have to go tell him about it. <laughs> like, what the fuck? We just yeah. met you. Uh, it's okay because, I mean, how long is it before we get O'Brien saying, I don't want to eat fish? Or whatever. <laughs> well, <when's laughs> I don't uh, want to eat seaweed. When, when is that episode? Like two weeks away? One week away? It's oh, coming up, okay. right? Uh, yet another Marjan's note. When Data goes to talk to Troy, we get a lingering breast shot to open the scene. Just right oh, down her dress. So it starts with her pouring tea, and but then it does crane directly up her cleavage. Like up the slope of her cleavage, like, for sure. Okay. I see what she's on the show for. Um... That is what she's reduced to in this season. Uh, I know it's been a long time, but never forget that in season one, she occasionally had insights and could do things. I know. It, it's actually, I am starting to forget it again. Even it, though no, we're it doing is. It's this. very, it's very, because it, it was immediately renounced in season two by that writer who didn't like her or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but when we watched season one, I'm never going back and listening to those episodes, but I distinctly remember thinking, oh, yep. yeah, she's not dumb in this. She was like a, one of my picks for MVP of that whole season. It was like her and Worf were like, oh, these guys are totally on the ball. Not anymore. Uh, yep. Now she is. Now she's just uh, an asymmetrical neckline. I was with Ben. Uh, Tapel's under hat, the hat under her big hat, was fucking fire. <laughs> she looked like a hero of the ocean bottom. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, but she's not good at this, though, huh? Oh, or I, uh, oh, I, I was testing you. I was testing you, Data, and you totally passed. No further questions. <laughs> she should uh, use the Jack Donaghy excuse 
where after after she doesn't get away with something, she she he she should say, in my defense, this has worked on dumber people. <laughs> um Marjan was giggling like a maniac during the dance scene, and I asked her if she was loving this episode, and she answered, Of course. <laughs> so we truly are the Keiko and O'Brien of reality. <laughs> I devised an alternate episode where Data's objective analysis shows that every woman has the hots for him. Like he leaves Troy's quarters convinced that she's like she put her hands on him and wore a low cut dress and like told him he has a lot to offer, so she's boned out for him. And then he leaves the dance session with Beverly convinced she was really impressed with his great dancing skills and wants to take a run at him. And then like he's convinced Keiko called off the wedding with O'Brien because she's like she's really in love with Data. And I thought that would have been better. Should have done that episode. If we're gonna show him not understanding humanity, damn boy, I guess. It really actually does feel in character for him to take Troy being nice to him and try to turn it, flip it. <laughs> Be like, this is my chance to but, try out my new romance program I wrote for myself. Yeah, but he has like Robot Ponfar, where he's only horny every couple of seasons. And I don't think I don't think there's another one coming until in theory. Oh, because right? he had a Shara Yar already. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had a Shara Yar. He also had Ansons of Command. Uh, yeah. Um... This Romulan guy later plays a different Romulan, Bile's dad. He's not as cool as Bile's dad. No, but he, I do love the game he plays, where he's like, Ah, you're trying to trick me with your tricks. I get it. You're a trickster, and all the lying's being done by Starfleet. I get it. And yes. Because <laughs> he's got the great lie going on. It's a real <laughs> Kwong Su move. Where he's just going to accuse them of being real traitors and trying to trick everybody all the time. Uh, Crusher's hair is wild in this episode. Um, Marjan says she read somewhere that she was wearing a wig this season, but I don't. I don't know if I can confirm that. I don't know if you did a deep dive on her hair. You know, it didn't come up. Okay. Uh, maybe she was wearing a wig. Her hair changes a lot. It was like blown in color, texture, length. The front of it was like blown straight up. She looked well, wild. She had a wedding to go to that night. <laughs> and it was, I guess, the early well, 90s. Was she at that wedding? You know, she didn't know about it, and we didn't see her there, I don't think. I guess she's not friends with O'Brien. Well, no, he scanned. Oh, that was in a different universe. <laughs> this O'Brien doesn't know that he had to have his brain scanned to prove he wasn't crazy. <laughs> it's true. Unless she's done it off screen. Anyway, that's it. Maybe he's just sick of the lectures he gets about his kayaking injuries. Yeah, I'm not even going to tell her about this one. I'm just going to tough it out. Every can we, can we not invite invite Doctor Crusher? <laughs> she's please. Gonna, she's going to talk to me about kayaking. That's going to look so weird. We're inviting the whole. Series no, no, no. Staff. She's really busy with I, the Juarez baby. I, I'm sure she'll be too busy. Oh, you want to get married now? Now you want to get married? Surprise! <laughs> that's how it would have gone. Um, and Ben's one quick hitter was, is this the second wedding we've seen on Star Trek? I think there was one on TOS. Yeah, I think in order, these are the, the first two, right? Have we seen another one? Oh, uh, no, I guess, I guess Wyatt and Troy didn't go through with it in Haven. Nope. We've seen wedding prep for sure. Yeah, and then obviously in this project, we, we know Teeple got married, though we only saw the beginning of that. Yeah, that is true. I would, yeah, I would say that chronologically this is the second, but we have seen uh, two others. Right. 
And the Star Trek, the original Star Trek one doesn't count that much because uh, that guy died. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> was that uh, Balance of Terror? Yeah, that was Balance of Terror. Okay. Uh, one of our top scoring TOS episodes. Yeah, that was he. was he the one who was really racist against Romulans and ate it on the bridge? Or was that someone else who was super racist against the Romulans? You know, it might have been him. Yeah. My I granddaddy told me all Romulans are scum yeah. or whatever. Yeah, there was there was a guy on there who was flying the Confederate flag yeah. about the old Romulan. And law. in that was era it? of TOS, you were just allowed to say all your racist stuff out loud on the bridge and no one told you to shut up. Anyway, you're up, quick hitters. Yeah, uh, I just noticed for the first time that Data ha- even has white mascara on. Oh, God, did he? So that his eyelashes are white. Why? Yeah, I was going to say, is that... Why? Why, though? Just just so he had to spend an extra 15 minutes in the chair every time. Yeah, because that's not going to... Just to make sure boring. that he got pink eye five times a season. Like, what's the point of this? <laughs> Gets all gummed up and, like, under one of his contacts and shit. <laughs> you for sure could not see this on broadcast television in the 1980s, but... I can see it now. Yeah, it is a dumb idea. Why couldn't he just have black ones? Wouldn't that be more realistic? It's not that hard anyway. So, not that long ago, a few weeks ago, Picard told Worf that there were representatives of 13 planets on the Enterprise. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess that includes this Indian Bolian. Yeah. And the pig lady with green hair. Oh, yeah. Marjan asked me what kind of alien that was, and I went, I don't know, Tellarite maybe? I don't know. I can't tell. I mean, maybe. (laughs) Very hard to tell. Yeah. Is Beverly from St. Louis? Or did she just beam into St. Louis to win an easy dance competition? It's real easy to fucking roll through town and win everyone's fucking contests in the future. Just yeah. need access to a reliable transporter. Uh, got a good look at Data's desk in his bedroom mm-hmm. this week. Uh, it appears to be propped up on milk crates. <laughs> I hypothesized that in universe they were a huge heat sink. Yeah, it could be. For all those great computers in there. Yep. Have you ever seen faster slow dancing? Well, I think that's what the one of the problems was. It was very fast. Data really wanted to fucking move his ass up there. Yeah, uh, I assume it was because they didn't want to do five minutes of slow dancing on TV, so they made him like really, really hoof it. Yes, as we know, TNG was all about action, and they kept telling him, "No, faster!" <laughs> the scene where you talk to the baby, talk faster. <laughs> The walls of the transporter room are covered with acoustical foam panels. Is that in-universe, or did O'Brien line the transporter room because of his occasional <laughs> wet work? I like to think he's he's done those modifications, and he is very surprised that no one's ever asked him about it. Uh, Mendak's Admiral's uniform has a lot of metal work on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's any better looking than the regular Romulan uniforms. It just looks like a sli- a very slightly different couch material. Like you bought a couch. Yeah. And then a few years later, you tried to buy another couch that matched it. And, and you, then you got it home. Yes. And you were like, fuck. It, only when you put it in. Like, but as soon as you got it in the door. Only when you got home. But as soon as you got it in the door, you went. As soon oh, as you got it in the door, you're like, shit. oh, God. <laughs> Took us 20 minutes to get this couch up here. Ah. <laughs> We almost dropped it off oh, the balcony. Oh, it's exactly close enough to be aggravating. <laughs> they had to cover one or the other with blankets at all times, so no one would ever notice. 
At some point between his dancing lessons and the actual wedding, someone told Data not to wear that rictus grin on his face. <laughs> and why didn't we see that scene? Because that person was doing important work. I want to know how they did it. They probably still felt they had to do it diplomatically, even though he's a robot. There's only two people on the ship who outrank him. <laughs> you think it was Riker? It could only have been Riker <laughs> if it wasn't diplomatic. Hey, when you're, uh, when you're dancing up there, try not to look like a goon. Okay. I mean, I, Jordy could have walked in and seen him practicing and said, Jesus, Data. <laughs> hey, I'm blind, and that's an awful facial <laughs> expression right. you're making. I can only see that you've got kind of an aura, but I know something's off. Hey, your aura sucks right now. What are you doing? Yeah, it's not funny. Uh, as usual, the Juarez child was born already six months old. Yeah, well, that's what they're like in the future. It's better nutrition. Yeah. I give best actor to Mendak. He really puts Picard in his place in this one. Pretty good. Yeah. And uh, worst actor, of course, to Data. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. He only had to carry the episode. It was fine. This is just an episode about him and named after him. <laughs> it's really a bad, a really bad episode title. I know it's a letter about the day he had, but that's what you came yeah. up with. Data's day. Yeah, what if you called it Intrigue at Miles and Keiko's Wedding? That's a worse title. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You gotta get those DS9 guys. They like the poetic titles or the Babylon 5 team. Yeah, they should have definitely contacted the dudes at PTEN or whatever. Third place last week was Enterprise. Okay. This week we watched Kirshara. Great. Velas, he's the bad guy. Yep. Is briefing the rest of the High Council on his attack plans for an invasion of Andoria and brushing off their somewhat weak objections. He repeats the assertion that they're arming with Zindi weaponry and that the Vulcans can't afford to wait. Archer and Tapau want to take the Kirshara, which we now learn contains Sarek's original writings, mm -hmm. to the capital two days away. Uh,. Reed and Trip are discussing their rogue plan to warn Andoria, and predictably, Reed thinks they shouldn't get involved, and he's worried about getting in trouble. Right. Trip asks Soval to help him find Shran. I don't know why he thinks Soval will know where he is, but uh, it's because there was he's some, read the script some business that happened off screen that we were never told about. <laughs> but it turns out that Soval does know where Shran is hiding. Mm hmm. Uh, Archer knows about the attack on Andoria now, thanks to Siren's memories, and as usual, Teepole doesn't believe any of it and starts to accuse him of having a god complex. Uh-huh. Um, but then they get cut off by some cool lightning rocks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Velas learns that Archer is carrying the Kirshara, then he has his guard, sub-lieutenant, no name, mm. to uh, tells him to find uh, Major Talok. And eradicate the remaining Cyrenites. Yeah, this is a major threat to him. It's a major, major threat to everything he's doing. So he'll send four guys to take care of it. Well, he'll send one guy to, to go find two other guys. <laughs> it's really embarrassing, the team that he sends. <laughs> and then come back. Come back right away. I know we're like a whole unified planet with space, with spacefaring society, and we're about to launch a major military strike, so we must have 
some decent military assets, but I need you and two other guys to go take care of this. This yeah, well, he's fundamental. Got to send his O'Brien, Major <laughs> Talog. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Enterprise makes contact with Shran's task force. They're hiding in some nebula. Shran doesn't exactly believe Soval, but he agrees to consult with his superiors about the plan to intercept the Vulcan fleet. Uh, Tapau offers Tipol the chance to share a piece of her mother's mind meld. But because of her Panar syndrome, she believes she can't. Mm. And then Tapao says, listen, the high command lied about fucking everything. Everybody can mind meld all the time. The only reason you have Panar sy- syndrome is because that guy who did that to you didn't know what he was doing. And I can fix it in like one minute. Yeah. So they do that. Um, Shran kidnaps Soval, beams him right off the Enterprise. I guess his and- chat with his superiors went a certain way. It did go a certain way. Yeah. yeah. And starts torturing him using an emotions machine. <laughs> the Zarek 5000 emotions machine. Like, in universe, everyone only knows one thing about the Vulcans. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Enterprise finds uh, Soval's pattern on the Andorian ship basically right away, though. Mm-hmm. And fires on it. But So they run and hide in the nebula. So Enterprise has to reconfigure their sensors, etc., etc. During a short rest, Archer and Teepole discuss her own feelings about the High Command, and Teepole snaps at him before they move on. Soval tells Shran a fun story from the Vulcan Old Testament, and tells him that his name is going to end up meaning fool in Andorian. Yeah, that's a good one. It's not too bad. It's a good one. It'd be, you know, that could work in, like, one of the lesser chapters of Three Kingdoms. When somebody gets their head stuck in between railings on a staircase, like in all the sitcoms, they're going <laughs> to say, I did a shran. <laughs> I pulled a shran. A shran did up real good. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, there's a big Lirpa fight where Major Talok <laughs> uh, and the, and another guy t- who did not bring guns for some reason try to take the Kirshara away from Archer. I thought I must have missed a reason. Are you saying you didn't? There wasn't a good reason in there. Uh, I didn't listen. I never saw Gun One. <laughs> These so idiots confused. showed up with their uh, Lirpa and just started wailing. <laughs> anyway, Tapau throws Archer down a hole before they can get to the on wound. So <laughs> yeah. that's good. But T-Pole's captured. Uh, she tells her captors that Archer's taking the writings to Mount Salea to be translated. Mm. And because Major Talok served under her at the Battle of Tomed, he puts up with her sass for a little bit. Yeah. Enterprise has found Shran in the nebula, so he gives Soval back. And, <laughs> um, I mean, that's really yep. it. Like, he's like, all right, I've decided that he's not, that, that he's not lying. I gave him a back. lot of emotions and I didn't get the info I want, so... Uh, there's a, a real waste of time scene where Archer decides he's going to go after uh, T-Pole instead of going towards the capital. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't matter because he'll learn in about a minute that that's where T-Pole is. Um, but in the meantime, Shran gives Trip the coordinates where the Andorans are going to uh, ambush the Vulcans, asks him to join him. I guess off-screen Trip says yes. This whole arc, this whole three-episode arc has been like, the wildest collection of coincidence written. <laughs> There's a lot of it by idiots. Just everything is an insane coincidence so that it all happens to work out. Yep. Now 
Tapau makes the noise of a crate dragon in order to draw the uh, Tipol's guards <laughs> into the special magnet zone that we saw earlier to steal their weapons. Hey, I'm not gonna lie, the same time, like the same day I watched this, I watched Beastmaster. Okay. And then Beastmaster makes a lot of noises just like that in that in that <laughs> movie. <laughs> Oh, when he's boy. calling his hawk or whatever, and he's like, Whoa! I thought of, I thought of T'Pau. <clears throat> uh, pole gets brought before Velas, who threatens her with execution in a real casual way, just like Archer would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is when he gets word that the Andorians have repositioned their fleet. Um, but I guess Shran set a bad ambush point because his little task force and Enterprise are going to be on their own when 12 Vulcan cruisers arrive. Archer and Tapau need access codes to transport into the high command, but Archer knows a guy. Yep. We'll skip right to the end. It's Koss. <laughs> yep. uh, Trip uh, tries to buy time by putting the Enterprise in between the two fleets. And Velas is catching heat with the council for his botched plan when Trip calls and tells him to knock the whole thing off. And then one of the other ministers tries to call it off. And then Velas draws a gun. Yeah, because he's gone full fucking insane bad guy uh there's a dumb fight in space the vulcans are firing on enterprise enterprise is firing on the vulcans but archer and tapau enter the high council chambers with the kirshara and archer tells everyone what velas's plan was and then he activates it and it projects holographic writing all over the room everyone looks around like a real dummy yep velas goes to destroy it but he catches a laser in the chest one of the other ministers calls off the attack. Archer calls the ship and tells him to come back to Vulcan. He gives a captain's log where he explains that everything is A-OK. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Koss visits T-Pole on the ship and she thanks him for giving Archer the transporter code. And he says, I divorce you and leaves. <laughs> An old priest gets the Katra out of uh, Archer. And then the new... Velas, that new minister, I didn't catch his name, uh-huh. and Tapau and Soval all discuss the new state of affairs. There's no more high command. No one's going to be looking over Archer's shoulder anymore. So his dad can finally make that good engine. Oh, yep, oh it's exactly. too late? Oh, oh sorry. Uh, yep, and then there's a little scene right before the credits where Velas goes into his prison cave. I'm not sure where he is. To, and he goes to yell at uh, the obvious Romulan, Major Talok, who tells him that this is all just a delay and that the reunification of their people will happen. It's really... Enterprise and Voyager are very good at making a bad episode worse in the last scene. Yeah. Matthew, my friend, what is this one about? Mm. Uh, I could only come up with... Uh, in the same vein as the last one. These fuckers will tell every lie they can get. To, or every lie they can to get what they want which you can be sure is only a value to them don't trust these motherfuckers I gave it a 6 obviously lots of parallels at the time with the Bush administration's push for war in Iraq um, yeah 6 for me yeah uh, Ben's a 2 he says faith will bring you through he says uh, but it constantly doesn't in the real world but hey maybe on Vulcan yeah yeah I'm um, more in the zone you are. I have loyalty to the principles of the state is a higher ideal than loyalty to the government. Okay. Um, even today, yeah. you know, 
16 years removed from this episode, there are plenty of people who decry all whistleblowers as traitors. Mm -hmm. So I guess this one still has work to do, huh? (laughs) It's too bad we're not really headed in the right direction. These episodes are... It just really doesn't seem like it, huh? They're becoming more relevant, which makes me mad because they're not well made. It's like you watch the TNG ones and... um, they don't have to do this basic stuff so much. Yep. I mean, we'll see. Maybe the drumhead is similar. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I expect it'll be better. Uh, but I gave it a five. I think, again, the lesson is worth learning, and people still got to learn it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, execution, then. Oh. Well, Ben's a three. Uh, why doesn't Archer give the Kishara to Pow? Before going off on a fool's errand. I also thought that at the time. He's like, no, I'm taking it with me in my backpack. And she's like, well, but then, but you're also going to go save your friend. He's like, yep, I'm doing both. And she's like, well, I could take it. He's like, no. Yeah, T-Ball doesn't quite get out that Archer has a god complex. (laughs) When he says he's been chosen to carry Sir X Contra, she says, chosen? And it seems like there's going to be more, but it gets interrupted. Yeah. Which is the only trust your audience writing that Enterprise has ever done, maybe. I think that could be. Uh, so there's a big torture is a necessary evil energy this week, yeah. and that's a shame. Like, we've got Shran doesn't really want to torture Soval, but he needs the information. Yeah. But also, a good man can withstand and resist torture. It's a whole bunch of horse shit. Yeah. Can you hear that? Uh, yeah. Apparently. Who's, who's there? Apparently the condo work continues. Oh, I see. It's, seven, uh, it's, seven it's already nighttime, but that's fine. <laughs> it's, totally, it's fine. It's totally cool. Uh, Archer throws away T-Pole's distraction, her heroic distraction, because he's still a crying baby, which sucks. Yeah. Uh, also, it is useless since it ends up that she was going right to the Capitol anyway. Yeah, because that, yeah, well, we'll get into it. Obviously, the introduction of the Romulans is a big, weird third rail. I I just... Why would the Romulans need to be involved in this? I just, <laughs> they can't. That's a good question. Yo, do they not even have warp drive, or is that a myth? What I think it on? just makes absolutely no sense. The idea that they don't have warp drive. So whatever Scotty means in a hundred years when he says they have simple impulse, it can't mean that they can't go faster than light. Like it just is not possible for that to make sense. It's like when we met them earlier in Enterprise. No we one? just saw their minefield, right? Did we? I guess maybe there was a bird of prey. There were birds of prey too. Remember, they had the whole thing where like Reed had to go out onto the hull of the ship and defuse the mine or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like they made it pretty clear that that was just like a hey, look, remember the Romulans? They're not really involved in this. Like this, yeah. you don't need to worry about them. And then suddenly, right here at the end of this episode, it's like we're finished with this arc. I'm so happy this arc's over, and then we get this dumb Romulan business. Anyway, yeah, in Balance of Terror, when they see the Romulan. And Spock has to go, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. It's clear that the Vulcans don't know that the Romulans are, you know, this offshoot of their race. Yeah. It's fine. It makes sense that the Romulans would know. Okay. Like, they remember Vulcan. They were there. But maybe, you know, the Vulcans didn't really keep good track of these people when they left on their flight. Right. And so when they just heard the word Romulans later, that didn't mean anything to them. Well, they've never been to Italy or anything, so I don't know why it would. Right. But, like, still, 
the the ending clip here is the it's like the fucking council of monsters in terms of cliche. <laughs> yeah. It's like a it's like a cliffhanger for but if for it's not going to be resolved next week. Yeah, and it's like it's not going to come up next week. The Vulcans are supposed to be a major power. Well, uh, yeah. Why is if you're in charge of the Vulcans, you're doing a pretty good job. Why would you need to be beholden to the Romulans? Although then I then it's a real life parallel because you know of the Russia and everything. Well, you mean again? Was there a bunch of stuff about Russia manipulating stuff in 2004 that I don't know about? <laughs> I don't remember. That I didn't it. catch on to in the time. I don't remember it at all. So it makes me wonder. Or is it just something that looks more sinister in 2020? I keep. I'm just saying. It, I don't like that they're making the episodes more relevant because they're not good episodes. If they were yeah. good episodes and then they were becoming more relevant, you'd be like, "Oh, look at that! They were prescient. They really they knew what they were talking about." But instead, it's just maddening. All right, one more thing that sucks. Yep. Uh. Tipol softens on Koss in the end. Like, he's like, hey, I released you from our wedding. And she's like, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Do you know, hey, don't leave. And I think that's because these TV writers believe that if you're nice to a woman, she owes you sex. Uh, Even if you say, used her mom's livelihood to force her to marry you so you wouldn't be embarrassed in front of your boys. (laughs) Yes. But also, don't they believe that if you treat a woman real bad, she'll want to have sex with you. Uh, that is also the case. Here. It's weird. They got these two opposing viewpoints in mind. Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Cost got red pilled. So he just walks out on that thought. Mm-hmm. And the space battles are very boring somehow. Yeah. I didn't care about them. Yeah. So it's a three for me. Uh, and Ben, you, I think you already said Ben was a three. I don't know. Um, yeah. I was a two. Um, this guy, his, this main bad Vulcan, Vlas, Vlas? Yeah. His pure evil is <laughs> extremely unmotivated until the last five seconds. Uh-huh. When we learn after three full episodes <laughs> that this guy's a Romulan, I don't know, agent uh, of some at, kind. At least collaborator, yeah. maybe actual Romulan. Okay, I mean, that happens in real life, too, when we can't tell why the hell somebody is doing and saying all the wrong things all the time every day of 2020, as well as the last few years. <laughs> but it's not fun in a story written by people. Like, why was he doing all this? He just hates Andorians? Oh, wait, he's a Romulan pawn, we find out, only after it's over. Uh, but, I mean, the other thing about that is, in 2020, there is still almost endless speculation about why someone is doing the wrong thing constantly every day. <laughs> yes, that's true. We still do desperately want to know. It's not just unknown to these Vulcans. It is uninvestigated. Yeah. that's But it's fine, because after it's over, after the day has been saved, we find out why. Mm, yeah. Okay. Everything about the ending's very bad. Two people, two people, sneak all the way into the operations room at the high command, <laughs> where there is one guard, and the old man neck pinches the guard and takes his gun. Uh-huh. Okay, Enterprise. However you want it to be. Again, talking about having two truths in mind at the same time. The Vulcans are simultaneously on the verge of some kind of crazy militaristic imperialistic conquest. And then also do not have any kind of ability to come after Archer or defend themselves from Archer in any way. Because he needs to be able to save the day. 
They don't even have good drones. Like, they've got these fucking things that are constantly flying overhead. And, and they're just standing up outside looking up fourth, at them. fourth patrol today. <laughs> just standing out and in the open like, looking at them like, oh, there's another one. Aren't they going to see us? Well, they never have so far. Yeah. Uh, how was the invasion of Andoria going to help them unify their two people? The, the Romulans and the Vulcans? How? Yeah. Well, again, we don't we don't get to ever find out. So I just, maybe the Romulans were going to step in and help win that war, and then the Vulcans would be so <laughs> filled with such fraternal. I don't know. I don't know because they don't tell us, and we just met this guy, and he, I, I don't know if we're ever going to see him again. I don't really understand what's happening. Maybe there was just a bunch of Romulan ships nearby waiting for this to go down, so that they could invade Vulcan. Yeah, maybe. Like, and then another um, Romulan ship had to blow them up. Like Sela's ploy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a two for me, man. I don't understand anything that happened in this whole arc. I, it's a, a real mess. Oh, but if you didn't understand what happened, did you did you give it a good score for world building? <laughs> I think you'll find it got a better score than it did in execution somehow. <laughs> okay. Pon Mokar, a planet ceded to Andoria in their treaty with Vulcan. Uh, the Vulcan tactics that they used to fool the Andorians about their military objectives. The supposed impact of the Kirshara, what it would do to the High Command and Vulcan, which is only really alluded to. But somehow, if we could just show them this, they'll change everything. And then it does. Uh, I guess Galasite hates metal. Uh, it hits it to hell, man. It just hates it a lot, shoots sparks at it, and it lightning It sucks and it shit. up and electrocutes it real bad. Yeah, it hates fucking metal. There's an... <laughs> Luckily, Archer only had one piece of metal on him. A weird, gnarly knife. Yeah. I mean, except not, because I saw that his bag and many of their yeah, outfits were probably was a lot had of metal. like metal studs and metal buttons and zips. There's <laughs> nothing magnetic in the Kirshara, huh? <laughs> I guess not. Again, we're told there's an extensive security grid around the Vulcan capital, but like, that's not a problem. Uh, the Vulcans have been massing their fleet near Regulus, which is far enough from Andoria that they won't be detected there. Oh, yeah. Let's find out where that is. I'm going to try to... if anyone looked that up. It's a real bright... That's 79 light years away. That's way too that's, far. Yeah, that's hella too far. That's extremely too far away. Um, Panarsis... Uh, Panar- Do you remember when Enterprise went out and got 100 light years from Earth and it was the farthest any human had ever been? <laughs> yep. I don't yeah, think right, that's where they're hiding away. their fleet. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It'll, uh, I, now I understand why Shran was tortured. That, that didn't make no sense. <laughs> but the fleet is... Regulus? The fleet is well hidden at Regulus. In eight months, they can be at Andoria. <laughs> it's like, okay. Maybe, uh, maybe whoever wrote this forgot that the twin planets were Romulus and Remus, and they thought it was Romulus <laughs> and Regulus, yeah. and they were just like, yeah, we'll tell them hide at Regulus. Well, as we know, many Star Trek scripts are written by people who do not know about Star Trek. Um, Panar syndrome can be easily healed, uh, which now makes sense. Like in the context of other treks where everybody is melding out here, just mind melding yeah. all over the place. I'm actually appreciative that they fixed what they were doing earlier with like, no one can mind meld. And if you do, you get a disease. I guess. <clears throat> I mean, I felt like the, uh, almost 50% of Trill can join thing had more impact. Uh, yes. Felt bigger. Soval brags that um, Vulcans are hella cool under torture, but Shran's got the new method, the one that makes them super emotional. The Nebula's particle flux? 
hold on. Stay with uh-huh. me. Stay with me. The nebulous I'm particle flux disables sensors and navigation because of mm-hmm. the flux. So Yeah, too many particles per surface area. Yeah. Too many particles passing through the surface area per unit time. Uh, Archer can neck pinch now. Uh, I guess because he well, learned he, it. He learned that. Learned it when he did the meld or got the Katra. There's a there's a bunch of stuff about early Surak, hella drop kicking and neck pinching fools that we don't get to see. Like before he mellowed out, <laughs> before he got all those real it's obvious like the, surface. Uh, those the three movies about it kind of lead to the beginning of his arc toward uh, <laughs> sort of a nonviolent logical existence. But he does uh, he does hella spin and heel kicks before that. Yeah. On Vulcan, you take prisoners directly to the headquarters of your government and bring them in front of your leader. Mm-hmm. Mm. I guess everything's... Well, especially if you think they're part of a terrorist organization. Yeah, but you just all take, of her teeth could be bombs, but whatever. You take them right into the room where everyone is doing all the important business. I guess everything will be all right on Vulcan from here on out, and Earth is going to have a better relationship with Vulcan. That's what we're being led to believe. Then, wait, the Romulans are behind this. I didn't remember any of this. Um... But there's nothing to remember, because the plot doesn't need them. I gave it a three. There are some things in there that are good, but the Romulan reveal at the end. In world building, it doesn't make any sense that the Romulans would be there. Yeah, Ben was a two. He thinks that the Forge is why they have to use Lirpas, because it's just just too fucked up for energy weapons. It kind of makes sense. They can't transport in and out of there. Why not just plain projectile weapons or crossbows? Yeah, just fucking replicate a Tommy gun. He says, think how far a Vulcan could huck an arrow with an atlatl. Yeah. That's a good got, point. They got all that strength. Yeah, I mean, the on wound seems like it could, just with just minor modifications, <laughs> could probably throw a spear pretty far. Probably. Most of the way there. Uh, I give it a four. Okay. It's, you know, it's mostly been covered. The Kishara, some kind of Vulcan holocron crossed with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, I still, all Vulcans. after all of this, I still don't understand what it did. Why it was so magical and everyone had to change their minds about everything. I don't know what it what it did. Oh, they didn't. They hadn't even translated it yet. They everyone was taking it. it on faith that finding Sirex's original writings was going to lead to a big revolution, religious wise. Yeah, I think that is maybe unfounded because there are plenty of real world religions that don't seem to pay that much attention to the texts that they're based on. So. <laughs> yeah. Getting a new text doesn't seem like it would be a big deal for most of these people, but that's fine. Uh, all Vulcans can mind meld. The Panar Syndrome is just a whoopsie. Vulcan emotional torture, the end of the High Command, and Vulcan oversight of Starfleet. And presumably this is a step in the direction of the Romulans that we, uh, the Vulcans that we know. Mm. And then, of course, Romulans. <sighs> Four for me. Okay. Uh, characterization. Yeah, people just can't learn this lesson about holding on to dogma and skepticism too long. Seems to be getting worse, actually. Like, Archer was naming dead Vulcans and opening secret doors with hidden hand motions last week, and she's still like, this Katra thing is bullshit, and you've got a god complex, and this is just a weird hangover from that mind meld that Siren gave you, and she should be like, hey, also, you did take us directly to the Kirsharo. But okay, she's getting worse as it goes on. I, we pointed out in the first one of this arc that she, by now she should have seen everything. She's seen so much bonkers shit. 
Yeah. That she believed to be impossible, but still, every single time she sees something new, she's like, nah, that ain't real. I know nah, that's Nah, man. Fake. I read a report that said that the ceiling's not leaking. The so. Vulcan Science Academy says it's not. Yeah. Also, for some reason, she doesn't want cost to divorce her. Uh, Reed is dumb. Trip is ineffective. Archer either feels better with Serac in there, or he wants him out of his head, or he feels more centered, or something. <laughs> yep. Shran just keeps equipment for torturing Vulcans on his ship. Like, that was not improvised equipment. That chair, that's a permanent installation. He was gonna capture a crazy old Vulcan sometime. Uh, Soval is the opposite of Sarek. He gets giddy and furious when he loses his emotional control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it can go, go a number of different ways. Just a three for me. Really very little good work is being done in this episode, characterization-wise. Yeah, Ben was a four. Uh, Vulcans have distractingly different shades of green for their blood. This feels like it should be in world building. The guy Archer knocks out. Oh, like- yeah, that fucking Romulan that he knocks out. Has got a real green blood. Yeah, and then he's battery acid green. Tapau has a lighter smudge of green on her face. I also noticed the differences. I assume Tapau had like scratches on her face. You know, like when you scratch yourself, it's just kind of pinkish. It's not like you're yep. leaking blood everywhere. Um, otherwise, it's a lot of stuff we're already covering. I gave it a four in characterization uh, as well. I guess this Vulcan guy is Dick Cheney. At that point, he was the worst America could produce to some people, right? That was that was the one. God, hey, do you remember that? Feels like a long time ago. He was just involved with like weird mercenaries and shitting on the Constitution and yeah, all kinds and he had of like stuff. Oil, but, uh, he had oil ties in the private sector and stuff like that, and it was like, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 this guy's a bad guy. He did shoot that guy while hunting. That actually <laughs> did seem like an accident. It doesn't really help anybody to bring that up. That was just a, a whoopsie that he did, but like still, was, that did happen. It was he hilarious. In the face. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that's who this guy's supposed to be, I think. Um, Reed doesn't like, or he doesn't think the Andorians should be warned because he sucks. Um, Trip also sucks, but he's doing what Archer taught him, which is to make a big mess out of everything and then hope it works out at the end. Yep. So that's what he does. Why does Soval... I mean, Soval definitely says to him, I think Archer would do what you're doing. Yep. And he says, that's what I keep telling myself. And then he doesn't say, but does that make it better? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I should do the opposite? Huh. That he, huh. he should say to Soval, this is like that... You know, I'm glad you said that. I think... That really cleared some things up for me. This should be like that uh, Seinfeld episode where George just does the opposite of what he normally does. You know, the one where he orders the different thing. And he... And he and he just does everything opposite, and he has a really good time. I should do that. Uh, I would like negative one catfishes, please. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. What's the opposite of catfish? When you think about it, there's no opposite for ordering catfish. Uh, I would like one fish cat, please. Thank you, <laughs> chef. <laughs> um, why does Soval care how Reed seemed to be feeling when he passed him in the hall? Why does he care? Oh, yeah. Why does he give a shit? That's yeah, a weird intro Listen, to the conversation. He's off the reservation. Everybody knows he's a fucking pervert mind melder uh-huh. now. He's betraying the high command. And he can have emotions now, how too. How do you think they found that crazy old melder in the end? He's got a whole melding network. Well, we missed the beginning where Reed was like, Soval's been 
just masturbating all over the ship. <laughs> he just whips it out and masturbates now. <laughs> he says it. It's I, time for the old ways to die. He says that every time. It's I. What is I? I need to ask this now because although I'm the security officer, I've never actually known what is diplomatic immunity. <laughs> yes, it can I arrest? Do him? Do we have I, to put up with that? I'd like to arrest him if we can do it. Um, Shran does a cool interrogation on Soval rather than take Trip's word for it, but again, I think he had to. Archer's not really himself these days, and um, like you said. He's kind of all over the place on his reactions. At one point, he says he gets why Vulcans suppress their emotions now. It feels fucking good not to feel things. Uh-huh. Um, Koss and T-Pol finally break off their weird marriage. Yeah, just a four for me. Did you write down quick headers? Uh, just a few. Oh, I already said one of them. Archer and his buddies have all kinds of metal buttons and accents on their outfits, but I guess only his dagger will set off those crazy galasite deposits. When Shran said he was going to mess with Soval's emotional stability, I knew it meant we were in for some acting from the Soval <laughs> guy. But we were going to have to get into it. And then I stopped writing quick hitters. That's it. Uh, ben wrote that Vulcan soldier guy is super emotional. The T'Pau actress is better than T'Pol. Yeah, should have just hired her from the beginning. Yeah, well. And, oh, I hope they did. I hope they. I hope she was in the running and this is an O'Connor situation. Oh, man, that would be great. Where they brought um, her in to be like, look at this. This could be what we're doing and not whatever you're doing. <laughs> uh, Archer just carries this fucking thing in his hands like he didn't bring a backpack. What if he dropped the Kirshara? <laughs> It'd be embarrassing. Like, hey, put it in your backpack, man. Yeah. I know it makes you feel special. How did Vulcans ever make it to space with sand lightning and taser rocks and no oxygen? <laughs> it's a bad combination for sure. I don't, yeah, it's not. Yeah, that con- planet sucks. It's not conducive to great advancement. When the Romulans got to their dank planet, where it's just constantly moist and they have to wear cloaks and eat soup. Yeah. And it's very dark. They must have been like, this is great. <laughs> we this wanted... is the best planet we've ever seen. You know, there was some discussion about whether they should settle there. And the winning side said, you know, we kept saying we wanted the opposite of Vulcan. <laughs> and I don't think we're going to get better than this. These caves are half underwater. It's pretty good. T'Pol uh, was a sub-commander, right? Yes. So the Vulcans use the same rank structure as the Romulans. Yeah, unless it's a like a universal translator deal. I don't know. All right, cool. All right, cool. Cool. Uh, we get another one of these amazingly dense nebulas where once a ship is eight feet inside it, it's invisible. Uh-huh. Uh, how much authority does Shran have? Is he kind of a free agent like Archer? Um, It's a good question. He... You know, we've he already... actually does call his superiors in this one. And he, we saw him do that before, too, when he was stealing the weapon. He was talking to people at home, too. Ah, that is so true. I think he actually does play by the rules. Okay. Why did Shran pick his ambush point so close to the Vulcan fleet if he couldn't get reinforcements there in time? Did he know exactly when Archer was going to reach the capital with the Kirshara? <laughs> well, he read the script, as always. Yeah. I guess when the council is in session, there are no guards anywhere, and Archer and T'Pau can just walk right in. They walked There was only the two of them. It would have been so easy to stop. You can use your weapons there. It's not like those uh, those galasite deposits are hanging around. 
And uh, this Romulan, Major Talok at the end, is just wearing a Nemesis uniform. It's just the Romulan uniform from the movie Nemesis. (laughs) Well, everything that's old is new again. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It was new for Nemesis, so uh-huh. I guess that's just a throwback. In Nemesis, everyone's wearing their throwbacks. That's right. It's really... Actually, that is kind of on trend for the early aughts. That is true. Uh, I gave best actor to the Shrantene. They really do some good work in this one. Mm-hmm. And worst actor to Major Talok, who, as Ben said, is like weirdly emotional and... Uh, like he's nostalgic for the good old days of the Battle of Toleb. Uh, yeah. Yes. Third place last week. I'm sorry. Second place last week was Voyager. That's yeah. a weird sentence. Yes, that's not your fault. Your mouth can't say that. <laughs> that's very strange. The, the episode Prey was the second place episode last week. Uh, so this week we watched Retrospect. <laughs> Did you play another clip before you played it? It had like a weird intro. Uh, I was kind of looking at Landru while I hit the button. (laughs) And so I hit this dumb DS9 clip that I made for that one week. (laughs) And then cut right into this one. I I was like, man, I don't remember that uh, fuzzy guitar opening up the... uh, Yeah, (laughs) I did it so quick that it just got like one note in. But apparently you did catch it. Uh, Voyager is buying weapons from a sleazy <laughs> arms peddler. This, yep. is, this is Voyager now. <clears throat> I'm guessing this guy's also a part-time sexual harasser. He looks like it. This show, uh, man, He really does. Uh, Janeway strikes up a deal for a new particle cannon of some kind, and um, she wants Seven to help the guy install it. Uh, did you mean an isokinetic cannon? I, I mean, I didn't, because I don't, I don't even remember that they said that. Um, Seven, uh, she gets the creep vibes from this guy, too, and she doesn't initially want to help, but Chaco talks her into it, which goes really good. Uh, in engineering, she gets annoyed by this shithound, and she punches him out, and we go to the credits. Uh, he does put his hands on her. Yeah, he tells her she's doing it all wrong, that her boobs are probably in the way, and he grabs her. He grabs her, like, by the waist or hips, too. It's not like he tries to direct her by her elbow or shoulder. And she, Even that would not be great, but he does he does give himself a grab. And she gives it to him. And then uh, Balana, of all people, sticks up for her. Um, but Janeway seems like she's at the end of her rope with Seven. She just kind of sighs and rolls her eyes a lot and lets her off easy. In sickbay, I'm guessing for her regular maintenance or whatever. Seven seems pretty creeped out by Schmollis, too. Um, this also seems like good sense, but I'm guessing we're supposed to think that something's wrong with her. Yeah, it's for, it's supposed to be a cue to the audience that something's wrong, but... In fact, when he uh, puts her in the medical bed, she starts to have weird flashback of uh, somebody doing a schisms on her. Uh, studying and examining her with medical tools and shit. The doctor tells Janeway he thinks she's repressing memories or... Maybe they're being repressed against her will or something. Um, He plays therapist with Seven in the cargo bay. And I swear to God, they're just doing schisms mixed with the one with all the mind rape uh, Mm -hmm. violations. I think that one's called. Yeah, I can't wait for that, huh? Actually, for both of them. I don't think schisms is great either. 
Anyway, Seven uncovers a memory of this shitbag COVID, I think they said his name was. That's yeah, it's unfortunate <laughs> that his name is Coven with a K, but yeah. Doing some kind of surgery on her. Um, the doctor takes her f- further back, asks her to cast her mind back to a time when COVID was showing them some good handheld weapons that they apparently are going to buy too. They are stocking up. Uh, Seven goes with the guy to put some cool sights on the weapons. Um, and the guy shoots Seven. And then the guy and his assistant talk about getting some of that good Borg tech out of her. And then they stimulate her implants so they can get nanoprobes. And then they use them to assimilate a guy who's laying nearby. Uh, then they wipe her memory and they, uh, they when she wakes up they tell her there was an accidental discharge. And she was wounded. So this is the memory that the doctor's uncovered. He takes this to Janeway and he declares that there was no doubt that this is all very true stuff. (laughs) Tuvok at least says, think about it. (laughs) Someone always has to say on Voyager. Uh, Janeway takes this more. uh, I think she says it's more of a threat of like somebody running around with Borg nanoprobes. I think that's a way to get everybody on board for an investigation. Right. Janeway confronts and questions COVID. Uh, he denies the whole thing and claims all that happened was an accidental injury of Seven and that they had to fix her up with a dermal regenerator. Janeway threatens to call the cops unless he cooperates, so he sits down with Tuvok and pleads with him, claiming his innocence repeatedly. Seven seems pretty cool about this whole thing now that she's remembered it, but Schmollis whips her up into a fucking frenzy like a, like a real asshole and just yells at her, REVENGE! Until she's pretty mad. He does tell her, think of how great it'll feel when you get revenge on this guy. It works, too. Think she... of how hard you'll be. And then she says, what? She... And he says, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Clitorally. <laughs> um, the doctor undoes all the goodwill building that Tuvok did with this guy by just, like, coming out of the gates, firing at this dude in his lab. He convinces some magistrate or whatever that COVID definitely did it. And um, the dude gets scared and he grabs a gun and beams out. Voyager tracks his ship for a while before the guy blinds their sensors and gets away. They pick up his warp signature again and Janeway and Tuvok go back to check on uh, all the COVID shit that they beamed up. They can't prove anything is happening either way. And Tuvok uh, comes up with an experiment they can do on Seven's arm to see if it proves this dude's guilt or innocence. But now Seven's all pissed off because the doctor keeps shouting at her that she should be. Uh, The experiment seems to indicate COVID might be telling the truth. Janeway suggests the repressed memories they uncovered might actually be a manifestation of her Borg trauma again. You know, we've seen this before. (laughs) Yes. Suddenly, the doctor's voice gets all soft and he tries to, like, moonwalk out of this one. (laughs) I mean, I I know I said some stuff before, but uh, but really, this... Seven, you're being too hard on this guy. (laughs) Um, now Seven's extra mad and says she won't settle for anything less than this guy's punishment. Uh, they chase him down, but he doesn't believe that he's going to get like a fair shot. So he tries to fight, uh, and accidentally blows himself up. So a likely innocent man is dead and that man was going to sell them a bunch of weapons. So more great work from Voyager. Uh, the doctor goes to Janeway to ask to be rolled back to version 1.0. Yeah. All of his self-improvements have made him suck real hard, so it's time to start over, but Janeway refuses and gives him a pep talk, and we're out on kind of a glum note. 
<sighs> what was this episode uh, for us, the viewer, supposed to be about? Uh, society, like law, should wait for evidence before destroying a man. Listen, this one sucks. Yeah. This was in the decade of and a direct response to prosecutions based on recovered memories of preschoolers who alleged satanic abuse by their daycare daycare workers <laughs> allegations which were preposterous and impossible way like a million times less credible than this thing that's going on with seven here mm -hmm. uh <clears throat> and part of a cultural panic about satanist cults? satanism yes right by the way i've got a lot to say about this <laughs> so in the intervening years, the satanic panic died out, and now what we get is an episode that looks an awful lot like a spirited defense of men whose lives are, quote, ruined yes. by the testimony of dozens of adult women who <laughs> never forgot what happened to them, yes. did not recover their memories, and merely <laughs> kept silent because the men in question had the power to bury them. Yes, it really does do a different thing now. <laughs> yeah, so time really harmed this one, like, pretty badly, like, a lot. Yeah. Uh, even so, the take is still a little wet, like, even in context. Yeah. The science of recovered memories is entirely unsubstantiated and probably baloney. But shouldn't we advocate on behalf of people who've been abused? Um, it's probably impossible to divorce the way I feel watching this episode now from what it would have felt like in 1998. When you were also but gripped in the Satanist panic of the 90s. I attempted to. I gave it as many as four points for what is still actually kind of a wet take. Sure. Like, they really went out of their way to make it much, much murkier. Much more, many more shades of gray than the original nonsense that they're commenting on. Yes. Yep. Um, before I even move on, I'll just say that Marjan and I, last year or the year before, tried to rewatch <clears throat> Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack, <laughs> and we discovered that even at that part of either the late 80s or early 90s, people were already very afraid of Satanist cults, despite the fact that no one had ever seen one. There's just, there's just no such thing. They just don't exist. It's not a thing. I mean, the Satan, the Church of Satan popped up sometime after this, and they mainly just try to spend their time, like, um, rolling back bad legislation or whatever. Yes, exactly. I don't think anyone's ever actually seen a Satanist cult, but they were very afraid, because in every episode, a dude, go, a dude, like, goes surfing and disappears, and then they're like, his friends think he might have joined a Satanist cult, and there's no <laughs> evidence. They just say it, and you go, what? Why? Or, like, yeah. a lady disappears, and the husband the whole time is like, good, I'm glad she's gone. She was cramping my style. I hated her. And it's yeah, like, well, he did listen. it. He's the one who did it. But then Robert Stack will go, did she join a Satanist cult? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Listen, there's good news. Uh, this is another area in which 2020 has not actually improved that much. <laughs> the fucking Pizzagate QAnon nonsense. Yes. Definitely believe there's an underground satanic child abuse <laughs> ring that... Our Lord and Savior Donald Trump is going to save the children from. Yeah. So, w while society at large has moved on, there are still people who get just whipped up into an idiotic frenzy about it. It's so weird that everyone can be so worried about a thing that just straight doesn't exist. It just just one hundred percent doesn't exist. It's not real. 
<laughs> but it's anyway. like if I said that there were aliens on Earth and they wanted to taste your butt and you were like, I, <laughs> That's why are it. we doing nothing about this? We have to kill these aliens, everybody. They're out here trying to taste my butt. Yeah, man, after like the eighth time Robert Stack suggested somebody might have fallen in with a Satanist call, we went, oh, okay, I don't think we need to watch this anymore. <laughs> this is going to be the answer every uh, single But they're week. putting out a whole bunch of new ones this summer. I saw that. I um, I hope it's the same. I hope they still wonder if somebody joined a Satanist cult. Or did their husband kill them, which he almost admits on camera? <laughs> Come on, Robert Stack. All right. Um, ben gave this a five. You can take... Okay, I don't. this sentence doesn't really work. You can take the soldier... Well, no, because you're reading the DS9 one. Oh, so it's a sorry. big problem. He didn't give us notes for Voyager. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, well, when we get to DS9, the sentence doesn't work either. Um, <laughs> all right, so I gave it... Uh, yeah, Ben didn't give us notes for this one. I gave it a five. Uh, even when you feel strongly about something, maybe keep a cool head and an open mind. That's obviously not very much. Uh, Seven's retrieved memory and everybody's feeling about this shitbag makes it very hard for them to be objective and find the truth, and it leads to his death. This should be obvious enough that I can't give it a ton of points, but as we know, in real life, every single person sucks, and they suck so hard that the extinction of the human species is really the only thing that makes sense at this point. I was in a kind of a dark place when I did this. Listen, this episode really did not make me feel... Listen, it's a bad year. It's a bad year, and I feel bad all the time. And yep. in the last couple of weeks, I've started reading Twitter again, and that's so bad for me. <laughs> yep. But this episode was not in the least bit helpful. No, it was not at all. Um, anyway, I gave it a five for being down the middle. Execute. Out of execute. Uh, not so good, though. Unfortunately, enough of the crew was willing to give this guy a chance that it should have worked out fine, but the doctor was so awful that you can't help but hate this show for having him around. He fucks up the whole episode, and at the end, he gives like a weird mea culpa that's like, it's more than we get from Data ever, but you still walk away going, this crew fucking sucks. Well, he offers Janeway a punishment that she absolutely cannot take. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he can feel good about saying, well, I gave her the option. Post Tuvix, it would look really bad for her to take it. Yeah, you know, she's already taken a lot of blowback, I'm sure. Everyone thought that guy was cool. Seriously, who's the good crew member on this ship? Is it Space Pirate Janeway? Is it We'll Do It the Maki Way Chaco? A traitor to the Federation and career failure Tuvok? <laughs> Is it racist and awful boyfriend TP? Insano Schmollis? Better dead than engaged to Libby Kim? Love violence but hate Klingon stuff Balana? You know what you have to do, Neelix, or a child-minded bombshell and platform heals seven? Uh, what about Anson Wildman? <laughs> Maybe the Wildman baby? Is that the best Maybe character? the Wildman baby. <laughs> she's already five, but, you know, she's pretty cool about the Great Forest. Yeah, she imagines it just like Neelix. Um, the character work is so bad on this show that it probably wouldn't matter if they did other stuff well. Don't worry, though, they don't. They don't do other stuff well. Uh, parts of this episode were just TNG rehashes, and then the character of the Doctors were starting to feel like Data rehashed, and I just... He... he She's so cool about it when they recover that memory. She's just going about her business. Yeah. Like, eh, well, you know, that's how it goes sometimes, you know? You get attacked. Sometimes you get attacked. Sometimes they steal your nanoprobes. It's not a big deal. And then the Doctor just, like, goes wild. Yeah, he moves on from the reasonable position of... Well, you're going to have to deal with these emotion, emotions about this at some point. Mm -hmm. 
to uh, kind of uh, foaming at the mouth. To like, just like he was when he was Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Uh, however many weeks ago that was now twenty five weeks ago or whatever. Yeah, or when he didn't want the Klingon music in his house. Or he didn't want the Klingon music in his house, which I'm sure was another another program that he that he fucking created to help him learn how to um, be a better human or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a two, man. It's two. <sighs> I gave it four, but let's talk about it. There there are definitely some issues here. This should not have been a seven of nine episode. Yeah. She is a real victim of horrible abuse. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty heartless at the end to make her think about the poor man whose life she ruined. <laughs> really, kind of, the way the doctor, like... By a thing she with a thing she definitely remembered and believed to have happened because of the doctor who, who fucking in that room goes, "Come on, seven, come on, God." Uh yeah. Also, the good, good boys and girls of Voyager go out of their way not to harm this guy, mm-hmm. and he spends the whole last twenty minutes harming himself instead. So it's pretty silly that anyone on the ship even feels bad about him at the end. Yep. The only thing the crew really did wrong is Schmollis took Psych 101 online and decided to whip up a custom brain device. Uh-huh. And B, uh, his slavish drive to make Seven angry and want revenge. He really Britted the whole thing. He Britted it real bad. Yeah. Uh, the producers of this show didn't know I would have to spend all last week reading Man Babies parroting these exact same ideas back in defense of Chris D'Elia. Oh, yeah. But... But man, I hated watching this. I so I saw, again, I may be giving it more points than it's worth just because I am trying to not let how little I enjoyed watching this affect me. <laughs> That's good. That's big of you. I just like your wife. I would like a pat on the back for it. <laughs> That's right. I uh, I saw Crystalia at the airport one time in Hawaii. They lost, how sweaty was he? They lost his luggage, and he was not being <laughs> cool about it at all. Oh, really? Yeah, I know it's hard to believe, but he was. Did he say something like, "I, I listen, I got to meet a high school girl later. Can you find my fucking luggage? <laughs> you know, this What's was the age of consent here. This was it's all legal. Back in another era, back in like 2015, and if he said it, I might not have even thought anything about it because it was a different time. You know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. What about world building? Does Voyager get to keep the isokinetic cannon? I mean, he don't need it. I mean, it was installed already, right? Yeah. It's on the ship. That minister's probably not going to make a fuss about it, right? I don't know. They, maybe they didn't even tell him about it. They can't, can Voyager just beam down a bunch of isolinear chips like they were going to and leave? <laughs> just beam it onto his rock fucking burial they give him or whatever. Leave, leave them their watch and their old house key? Wouldn't want them thinking that they'd steal? That's right, yeah. Uh, uh, Amanin of Beta Z, we learn. That's a good way to pronounce it, for sure. Uh, and um, assimilation tubules. Yes, those now are a thing, because this is now after the Borg movie. Yeah. There's uh, basically no world building in this. It's a one. I don't blame you. I said I, I gave it two. I said I could see a one, so I will give it a one. Um, Janeway offers 12, se- I think she said 12 sectors of maps for this. 12 sectors of maps? For the super cannon? And just like in Civilization, the guy's like, what? I don't need your maps. <laughs> maps? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good, though. Do you know the Russians? I'd like to know them. Do you? Can you help me up? No, just <laughs> maps. Can you help me? I'm good, then. Um, 
I can't believe Starfleet, if they were ever going to read these logs, would like anything about what is happening to open this episode. But <laughs> where she's buying guns, where she's buying from an alien, lots in of, exchange for Federation technology, lots of guns, handheld <laughs> guns, ship-mounted guns, and yes, trading Federation tech. Like, y'all, in the last Star Trek movie, the unwatchable one, she's an admiral, uh-huh. not in prison. Yeah, she failed up, for sure. It's uh, kind of amazing. Um, the Doctor, like Data, is always tinkering with his own program, and usually with... I mean, okay, prison, right? But, like, maybe sh- at least early retirement, huh? Something! You gotta do something. And, you know, these Federation assholes need to be defunded, I'm gonna say it. <laughs> Listen, I'm with you. Uh, we've got Admiral What's-His-Name staging a coup. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, what was his Jean- name? Janeway's a constant pirate. I'm not looking at my old notes. I know that was only two weeks ago, but I'm not looking it up. Fucking Eric Pressman. Take it back as far as you want, dude. All those Commodores. Fuck it. I'm very suspicious about Necheyev. Oh, yeah. There's something up with her for sure. Obviously. You know, I always uh, thought there was something a little too aristocratic about Nora Sati. She's going to be real problematic when we see her. Yes, she is. Uh, anyway, the doctor, like Data, is always tinkering with his own program and usually with garbage results. Um, I guess you can stimulate a drone's implants and harvest their nanoprobes for whatever that's worth to you. Yep, I'll give it a one. There's not a lot going on. But what about characterization? Mm, TP just says racist stuff on the bridge in front of Janeway, Tuvok, the main computer, whatever omniscient beings are watching. <laughs> this guy's worse than a Ferengi! Yep. What? That's the whole thing? You turned around for that? <sighs> Seven is still pissed off and also still right about Janeway sucking. This time, her complaint is Janeway only talks to her when she needs something. <laughs> she gets real caught up in her emotional mentor's mad rambling, though, and then she kind of goes off. Uh, Balana really does like and respect people who use violence as a first resort. It does seem that way. Bellana, no one hates Seven of Nine more than Bellana. Yes, she hates her. The reasons for that are best not explored. Yes. And uh, she really does. She, you know, she does come to her defense in, well, she half comes to her defense in Sickbay. She does kind of back off. But she smiles the whole time. Yeah. She's so pleased about what Seven did to this guy uh, in the teaser. Just like when Seven shocked that Herogen a few weeks back and Seven was like, nice. I mean, Bellana Bellana was like, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, true. that's the good stuff. It's like, what? When she shocked that unsuspecting alien over his it, fucking view screen? It really does sit well with her she when that stuff it. goes down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the doctor is studied up on mental health so he can be the ship's counselor, too. But there's a problem. He's not any good. <laughs> in fact, he straight sucks. He, uh, he feels bad in the end, but who cares? Um Janeway's diplomatic in the conference room like I said earlier it seems like she's just trying to find a way to convince everybody to do this investigation so she comes up with uh, uh, you can't just have this guy running around with nanoprobes so whether or not we believe Seven we have to look into this Um, she finally actually kind of didn't suck in this one but it doesn't matter because they don't save the day (laughs) it's not not worth anything in the end (laughs) so it's a three for me uh boy i gave it a three also but um this one sucks it sucks to watch janeway and schmollis and seven beat themselves up over this man's ruined life janeway won't fire on him even with her shields down and his weapons charged Mm -hmm. 
Seven's probably going to go eat a bunch of pills, and exactly none of this was her fault. Yeah. Detective Tuvok's record drops to two and one. <laughs> Everyone else is Little League in this one. Yeah. It's just a three. Fair enough. Uh, what about quick ones? Uh, are these the same chips that Jim Shimoda scattered all over engineering that Janway's bargaining with? Maybe. Because a hundred of them would fit in, like, a shoebox. She's giving them nothing. It's true. And also, the guy does all the install work for five extra chips. I don't think he's very good at negotiating. Uh, I really liked uh, Seven of Nine. The Her facial expression when she's in Janeway's ready room after she punches the guy. Mm. Uh, I wondered how a white woman in 1998 developed such a strong, I wish a motherfucker would face. <laughs> she was just waiting to hear about it from Janeway. Well, you know, she used to date the mayor of Cincinnati or whatever. Ah. Uh, hey, it's kind of shitty that they still keep the cargo bay that is Seven of Nine's bedroom full of cargo, huh? Yeah, I noticed that a few weeks back when Neelix went to visit her and they were just standing <laughs> next to some barrels. And I was like, hey. Uh, it's just like, hey, do people just go in and out of there whenever they want all the time? It seems like they do. Because obviously whenever anyone needs to see her, they just fucking walk right in there. They don't like knock on the door. Yo, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed off. I'd be like, this is my fucking bedroom. Yeah. Hey, I was in my alcove. You know, Janeway told me I couldn't put up posters. Unfucking believable. <laughs> what am I supposed to look at all day? I told her I'd paint when I moved out. <laughs> and then I wrote, oh man, this better not be about how daycare work, day workers are being falsely accused of satanic <laughs> abuse. But of course it was. <laughs> As soon as they started talking about recovered memories, I was like, oh, no. Voyager is not capable of handling this topic. Did he join a Satanist cult? (laughs) Uh, You may not realize how dangerous Borg technology can be. We only modify our rifles to shoot nanoprobes all over the ship, and we can't think of anything better to do. (laughs) That's right. Must be nanoprobes just loose all over the place. They're just fucking everywhere. They made their guns shoot them last week. They're probably in Neelix's coffee and shit. People are just drinking them up. It's bullcrap. Uh, I gave best actor to Seven standing in Janeway's office and worst actor to uh, Schmullis as the glorious Steinem caricature that these hack writers masturbate to. (laughs) Yeah, it was just last week when he was... Last week or the week before, at least, when he was doing the cool... um, banter with the nurse that he made up that he wrote about yeah yeah i don't have any more quick hitters i used them all (laughs) (laughs) you fucking burned them yeah cool one more uh man first place last week was deep space nine yeah this week we watched return to grace there you I don't hate that as an intro. It's just you're going to have to carefully <laughs> do it in sequence every time. I mean, I could just make new clips. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kira is preparing to go to a diplomatic conference with the Cardassians. Uh, they're going to share some information about the Klingons, I guess. When Dukat comes to her quarters, he's going to be escorting her because he now commands a small freighter thanks to um, s- some of the bad press he got from his half-Bajoran daughter that he brought home. 
On the freighter, Kira is catching up with Zial, that's Dukat's daughter, when a battle drill begins. Dukat is frustrated by how crappy his ship and his position are. Anyway, he invites Kira to dinner. I guess he had fond memories of that time he sat on that sharp rock with Kira. <laughs> you know, when he confessed he was going to kill his daughter. <laughs> yeah, but it was a good night for everyone. That was a cool camping trip that they took. Kira handles shit really well, because in that cave, she just kind of looked at him like, well, maybe you shouldn't, though. Instead of, like, acting like he was a real monster. And she, <laughs> she does some... Say, well, think about it. <laughs> she does some similar stuff in this episode. Uh, he implies, I think, that he has the hots for Kira, and he badmouths her boyfriend, Shakar, a bunch. Uh, then they that, he's, he's way over the top. Like, he sh- it would have been enough to suggest that Shakar used to sleep around, but he just drives it home all the time. Oh, he ruins his own it point. Can't, it cannot possibly still be effective, and she gets to uh, essentially Riker him with mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Good, and I hope you make her very happy. I'm Will Riker. I wish you'd, end, I wish you'd ended that by saying he was Will yeah. Riker. Um, then they hear the battle alert again. Uh, the station that they were headed to, that got destroyed. Um, a Klingon bird of prey decloaks. The Klingons are unconcerned by Dukat's shitty freighter, and they start to slowly retreat without their shields. Dukat is offended and insists on attacking them, uh, but even after they open fire on the Klingons, those dudes just peace out slowly. Uh, Dukat.exe stops working to use an old <laughs> meme. He's so he's so bummed about how shitty and worthless his life has become. He actually looks like me a lot the last few months, just kind of <laughs> sitting there in his chair. It's the only reason that Kira proposes the thing she proposes next, right? <laughs> it's just because Dukat is so sad and she doesn't know how to deal with it. Like there are people that have like so much personal charisma that they can like they can like drive you to do something, motivate you to do something. He's got some kind of weird reverse charisma where he looks so dead inside that she feels like even though she hates this guy, she has to do something right now. Oh, he is for sure Mr. Pitiful. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Uh, Yeah, Kira becomes inspired and suggests rearming the freighter with the defenses from the destroyed outpost. I guess none of the guns blew up or whatever. And uh, going after the Klingons. After a chat about learning how to fight, like the Bajorans did against the Cardis if he wants to beat the Klingons. They pick up those disruptors and they install them, start to run some tests. Um, Kira is grossed out by all of Dukat's um, smiling and boners and stuff. Mm-hmm. She's helping Zial get ready for a fight by showing her some cool guns. Then Zial starts to work on Kira about her nice dad, too. She says, well, you come home with us and be our new mom. Um, Kira and Dukat think they know where the Klingon ship that attacked them will go next, and they come up with a plan to lure them in with some, um, fake cargo, cargo, fake cargo signals, or cargo, <laughs> maybe Captain Cargo. Do you want to start, do you want to start the episode over? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just wrap this one up and try again. <laughs> uh, they reach the destination star system and wait for the Klingons to show up. Uh, after a chat about Dukat's fantasies about ruining everybody's careers when he's powerful again. The Klingons show up and detect the fake Kargno that they want to steal so bad. They put a tractor beam on the freighter and bring it in close, and that's when Dukat fires his new weapons and immobilizes the Klingons. Unfortunately, they still have weapons, and they do some big damage on the freighter. 
Ducat's um, <clears throat> Ducat's crew boards the bird of prey and seizes it Star Trek Three style. They even beam the remaining Klingon crew over to the freighter. Uh, Ducat doesn't let the Klingons go like they did to him earlier in the episode. He he blows up his old freighter full of Klingons. Yep. Then he calls Kira a terrorist and begins his victory lap. Um, this ship, it turns out, has the target priorities of all the Klingon raiders operating in Cardassian space. So this is a big find. In fact, the Datapa Council is, um, they're willing to promote Dukat back to his old position as military advisor, uh, but they can't have him go off and, and try to strike back against the Klingons because they're looking for a diplomatic solution and... That they want this thing to end as soon as they can. So he's really bummed out about that, and he decides he's going to fight his own little private war out here with this bird of prey that he seized. But he wants Kira's help and tries to convince her to go with him. Instead, she has a chat with Zial, and she decides she's going to help Dukat by watching his daughter on DS9. So she takes her back, and Dukat goes off to fight his cool war against the Klingons. What was this one about? A question. Is it still moral to do the right thing for the wrong reason? Hmm. Hmm. Dukat spends the whole final act contrasting himself with Kira, but she was fighting to liberate her people with no expectation of reward, whereas his quest is a quest for personal glory. Yeah. And a return to the good old days of Cardassian dominance. So a question never scores that many points, and this show does not even attempt an answer. Um, just a four for me. Uh, ben, as I said earlier, gives it a five with this sentence. You can take the soldier out of the military, but not the military out of the soldier, but not all the time. <laughs> I don't know what that exactly means. Five points. <laughs> he gives it five points. Um he says it's clear Dukat doesn't know what to do without an enemy to fight. I don't know if that's necessarily his problem. Um, anyway, he's going to run a guerrilla campaign uh, despite it taking himself away from his daughter. Um, I was also a five with uh, the straight down the line. Your point of view changes as your position in the universe does. It might just be Dukat who's like um, feeling this way except we know kira has undergone a similar shift in ideals since her people got out from under the thumb of the cardies she's had some episodes where she had to learn to deal with her new priorities and points of view and how she feels about the government and all this other stuff so it's not that hard to see ducat going through the same thing going the opposite direction from being on top to being some shitty captain on the fringes of a losing war uh, just a five for me. What about execution? This is where it scored much better for me. Um, Kira and Dukat having completed, like, switching positions since the beginning of this series is actually something valuable to take in. So in the pilot, she's a relative nobody working for a broken people, and Dukat's a senior military official in a powerful empire. Now she's kind of an important person for Bajor and... They're doing pretty well these days. They're headed for an entrance to the Federation. Now he wants to fight to the death in a hopeless struggle against the Klingons, and she thinks that's crazy and futile. In the past, Dukat cared only about uh, status and using it to help his friends and crush his enemies, but 
now he'll give up his important position that the council offers him in order to fight this war. It's actually not bad to see this flip around like this, even if they're not doing the thing that some people or that some writers do where they're really trying to make a guy who used to be bad into the new good guy. <clears throat> like no, this, no, he stays bad. Yeah, this is self-aware enough to be like, there are things about Tukat that are changing, but everything that he claims to be a really good dude about, you can't really take his word for. Um, it's actually not bad. They don't they don't really hammer you with it either, but it is all there. So um, I was pretty impressed with that part. On first watch, you could be worried that Kira and Dukat might get together. <laughs> that would be wild. So I'm glad they don't do that. I'm glad she finds a way to like get closer to him without it becoming romantic. That's like a more realistic version of the warming of their relationship. Uh, it also gives us an ongoing plot line to follow. I don't know if that's good or bad for future episodes, what they're going to do with this Dukat, Zial, Kira, um, Triad, war against the Klingons, all this other stuff that's introduced in this episode. Hmm. Overall, I liked analyzing it more than watching it, but it was, it wasn't bad. Um, and all that other good stuff makes it an eight for me. Ooh, eight's high. Uh, I was not as rosy about it. Okay. Um, weird to me how Worf is like, please don't give the Cardassians any of this technology. And then Kira spends the whole episode improvising and it's never like, here's how we can make your torpedoes better. I was sure that was Chekhov's pad he was handing her. <laughs> right? Uh, then I know Dukat's attraction to Kira is already established, but it doesn't do any work in this episode. It just makes us like him a little less when he's already providing lots of good reasons not to like him. Yes. And Kira is, um, sex blind or something. She cannot fucking... She can't figure yeah. out that Odo is, uh, just tearing his hair out over her all the time. She doesn't really seem to get that Dukat's got it for her here. Yeah. Um... So I don't know what that is. Like, has she ever, has she ever not made the first move in a relationship? Yeah, I don't know. We don't really see what happens between her and she, I guess we see him kiss by that wormhole. Yeah. Uh, that said, uh, Kira and Dukat mostly work together. And one of the three conversations with ZL sort of passes the Bechdel test. So it wasn't all bad. Is it the one about the guns or the one about the knife fight? I don't remember. Uh... The knife fight, I guess. Okay. The guns one, as you said, transitions into... Oh, yeah. Uh, our, my dad's really nice. Don't you like him? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe even the first one. No, the first one's about Dukat, too. Yeah. About how good her dad is, taking her places and so on. Right. Uh, so I give it as much as a five. Okay. Um, Not bad by any means, but... Yeah. Ben was a seven. Um, he says the funny thing is, after he talks about the relationship between Kira and Dukat... Because of the actors involved, there was actually some good screen chemistry between them. Um, you have to wonder at the end if Dukat's being written off the show or not. I mean, what a wild idea if you had Marco Lemo for four seasons. And then you were like... To write him out of it this way? Get rid of this guy. <laughs> Who I hate it when he comes around. He's the worst. Like, I would do everything I could to get this guy into the show full time. Yeah, unless Avery Brooks was like, I'm sick of acting with this guy. Also, I haven't been in the show in a long Cause time. Because he's uh, kind of upstaging me, but it doesn't really matter because I just show up every now and then to say it's a clock. <laughs> My passion now is mostly directing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was a seven from, from Ben. World building. 
Yeah, we've got class five disruptors, cargo captains skimming a little bit off the top. Old Shakar used to be a poon hound. Yeah. Cardassian AKs. Mm-hmm. The pacifist Atapa Council, Dukat, the Raiders, the all coming to live on Deep Space Nine. It's actually kind of a lot of world building. I give it a five. Okay. Uh, I agree. Most of that's not major, but there's a lot of it. Yeah, I agreed it was a five. Um, all kinds of health problems in Cardassian territory, thanks to these Klingon invasions. Um, the Klingons are also operating heavily behind enemy lines because of their cloaking devices, extensively destroying outposts and raiding cargo. Um the Bajorans are working with the Cardassians to share intelligence about the Klingons. Well, they signed that treaty. Mm-hmm. Kira seems weirded out by a battle drill on a freighter, but, like, they are at war, so... I don't know. Seems like a good idea. You can find a way to use cargo base to install some cool planetary defense systems. Uh, like these System 5, system five disruptors, he calls them. Ah, it is System 5, not Class 5. Yeah. Hey, have you ever played Star Trek Fleet Command? Yeah, yeah, but like not recently. Because this, I suddenly when they talked about just plugging those things in, I really wanted to start building some starships and shit. I wonder. <laughs> I just wonder if I should play it. I wonder if you can get it to play on a Windows 10 machine. Oh, it's not like a mobile game. It's a. Oh. Oh, maybe there is a mobile game called Star Trek Fleet Command. I thought maybe I was thinking of like Birth of the Federation or something. Oh, that was a fun game too. Um, it's tradition, like you said, for a Cardi captain to take a certain percentage of the haul on a cargo run. Uh, Cardassian rifles have two beam settings. Kira claims it's a rugged weapon compared to the Starfleet rifle, which is all, you know, it's expensive trash. Basically, is what she says. Um. A secret Cardi Weapons Research Facility. The Cardassian Military Academy. Dukat implies he can assign officers to Breen. So, we'll see. They, if... they have an embassy there. Oh, is that what he meant? Okay. Yeah, he wanted to, he was going to have them guard the embassy on Breen. All right, that makes more sense. Uh, word is it's bitter cold on Breen, if they hadn't already said that in another episode. Kira knows Klingon transporter codes. For reasons. They haven't changed them because they're fucking lazy and also, you know, IT security is not considered an honorable profession. <laughs> I believe that's true. When would she have gotten to know Klingon transporter codes? What's her That's a real good question. Why would, they have, why would they have shared that with the Federation? And if they did share it with the Federation, why would that have been accessible to the Bajorans? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. But it works. She does a good job. Dukat says this is the first bird of prey ever captured by the Cardassians. Um, they didn't do well in that brief war. No. Uh, yeah, so there's a ton of shit in there. So yeah, it's a five for me as well. And what about characterization? Uh, first, Ben gave it a four in world building. Says, um, what do you suppose maximum warp is for a freighter like that? Uh, it's at least as fast as a bird of prey, apparently. They catch it pretty quick. And also, uh, with that in the same sentence as that Breen stuff. He talks about how Cardassians dislike the cold, in case that hadn't been mentioned before. Uh, yeah, characterization. Uh, let's see. Shakar straight sexed Kira into doing this conference. She says yeah, in the beginning. Yeah, he for sure did. And she tells everyone about it. Yep. <laughs> she becomes inspired to help Dukat get his swagger back for some reason. 
Um, she says maybe it's because of the dead Bajoran diplomats, but I, I didn't buy that at all. Uh, anyway, she doesn't like all of Ducat's affection. Uh, she does take his daughter in because Zial reminds her of herself when she was young. Yo, if I saw somebody who reminded me of myself when I was young, I'd run away from them full speed. So she must have a much higher opinion of herself. Uh, Ducat was... Yeah, that is a thing that only people who like themselves say, huh? Yeah. Because ordinarily what I'd say when I see someone who reminds me of myself is, what a fucking dick. You got a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. Ducat was disowned by his mom and shit and demoted a lot because he brought home his half-Bajoran daughter. Um... He's initially playing it real cool. Says he doesn't blame Kira. Zial says he's been real nice to her. And after he barks at Kira on the bridge, he apologizes and invites her to dinner. Uh, yeah, he's got it for her pretty bad. And then also, once the Klingons show up, um, he shows just how bad he's actually handling it. He can't stand that the Klingons don't give a shit about his garbage vessel. He's even more into Kira after she talks him into adding some disruptors to his freighter. Because I guess that's hot. That's the hotness. Ducat spends his time thinking about who he'll fuck over when he's powerful again. Uh, he gets what he wants, but in the end decides to fight a private war against the Klingons. Um, he settles for having a close relationship with her via his daughter, rather than have her come along with him. It's a big Ducat episode. Uh, Zial had a hard time on Cardassia, but she she likes her nice dad, so that's something... She tries to get Kira to be her new mom, and I guess Kira would probably be a good influence on Dukat, so I get that. Um, in the end, she comes to live on DS9. I gave it a 7 for all the Dukat work. Ooh, well, I'm a little more uh, tempered on it. Okay. Kira seems mildly annoyed by Dukat. Not horrified like she should be, since she basically had to slap the phaser out of his hand so he wouldn't <laughs> kill Zial last time. She did, didn't she? Point the phaser at him. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Also, she tells people way too much about her sex life. If she's telling Bashir this shit, you know she's drawing diagrams for Odo. <laughs> Poor Odo, and he canceled those meetings too. We can't figure out this is happening. No, to now him. she just corners him yeah. in his office and does it. Yeah. Ah, oh boy, I really gotta. Uh, I got this plick's ticks a plick. He just won't stop. I really gotta go to this meeting. And I guess the main difference is that I'm on the other side of this with Ducat mm. from you. We get it. He's only 98% evil. You don't have to keep telling us about the other 2%. <laughs> sure. Like, I get it. He has some admirable qualities, and sometimes he's fun to hang around. Yeah. It's cool to be on a little runabout with him and hear him use his big boy voice on some Cardassians or whatever. Or to, uh, when he talks about the time he couldn't take his kid to the water park or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I'm a four. Wow, okay. So yeah, we were pretty different on this yeah, one. I'm pretty far apart on this episode. Uh, Ben... And Ben was a seven. He so was a seven as well. You guys agree. He says uh, Ducat offs those Klingons in cold blood and Kira and Zial don't really give a, give two shits about it. Yeah. And his, he says that Ducat wants a return of his reputation and prestige, but cares about his people more. But I got the opposite impression. I definitely didn't think he was necessarily doing it for his people. Um, yeah. But he does give up his cushy job. Because like, it might be better for his people to find a diplomatic solution and not fight it. These guys, the one thing we know about them from their introduction 
is that the war with the Federation left them dirt poor mm-hmm. and starving. Yeah, they weren't and, really looking for another one. Right. And now they've been beaten all up by the Klingons. Their medical system is in shambles. It probably wasn't good to begin with. Yeah. Um, they maybe don't need to fight a long, drawn-out war right now. I would agree. Um, and his one quick hitter is Alemo is acting so hard in his prosthetics they're getting all warped and wrinkled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have some quick hitters, sure. It. Yeah, uh, Federation politics always seems to center on controlling access to their great technology. And sometimes it isn't the best look. Yeah. We just heard about how the Cardassian healthcare system is shit and these guys have been starving forever, but here comes Worf to tell her, don't give them our good sensors, please. <laughs> yeah. Literally right in the middle of that conversation, Worf walks in with a list of things not to give them. Uh, Kira doesn't take the bait about Shakar sleeping with all the women in his resistance cell, but like, gross. Uh, yeah. I mean, they did talk about it when they first started banging last week, the week before, whenever that was, about how, uh, hey, it's weird, we never really, uh, not really into you yeah. when we now were. we know why it was weird yeah uh why would the nearest cardassian ship be three days from this important conference it's a good question they did not defend it did they yeah everybody keep an eye on my boy damar he's going places mm-hmm. you can tell you can see it in that guy's fucking eyes he got a lot of extra close-ups and reaction shots this week mm-hmm. and also a name yes I guess the Klingons didn't send their best and brightest on these raids. Because these uh, guys don't even bother raising their shields and shit. They do a real, they just do a real bad job. And then they get Star Trek 3'd. Yeah, that you, we can't do that twice. Come on, guys. Like, it should be a cautionary tale within the Empire. I it must have been in Kirk's report how they just changed places on the transporter pad and the Klingons beamed onto an exploding ship. Yeah, I think they thought they fixed it when they changed their transporter code 75 years ago, but I guess yeah. it just didn't work. Yeah. Infosec, guys. Um, does Kira have to register Zial for school or something? <laughs> or, like, does the Bajoran government need to get Dukat's signature on something to make Kira her guardian? Isn't she a minor? Yeah, this all seems extra legal. I think it does. It seems very extra legal. <laughs> and I maybe maybe from the perspective of the Bajoran government, as long as it fucking stays on Deep Space Nine, who cares? Yeah. A lot of a lot of extrajudicial stuff goes on up there. It's almost international waters up there. <laughs> but there's never any consideration for that, of course. Best actor Ducat, worst actor Kateming. The captain. Yeah, he wasn't good. He wasn't good. Also, he did a bad job as captain, but that's not really <laughs> you're, you're punishing him for that. A little bit. Quick hitters, Matthew? Uh, just a couple. Still the original Zial. She has not changed actresses yet. And then um, we finally meet Damar, like you said. That's a big day for us. That's sort of like we're, we're on the back half now of this show. We're over the hump. I mean, we sort of are. Yeah. New Space Nine is the second to last one to drop out but we're getting close to halfway through yeah we did it that's it that's all of them that is it it is done it's all of them it's everything yo four is plenty four is enough how did we do five for 80 weeks or whatever that's a very good question the uh the numbers are in 
uh, last place with 23 points, Voyager, yeah, retrospect. Back on bottom where they belong. In third place this week with 30 points, Enterprise Kirshara. Uh-huh. I can't. It's kind of hard to believe that got up to 30. Yeah. They got a, a got the mean score of 30. Yeah. Uh, second place this week with 32 points, Data's Day. Yeah, another real stinker. Surprised that ended in the positive. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Why are these getting so many points? But the winner this week, 26th win overall, Deep Space Nine, Return to Grace. Deep Space Nine is now back to only seven wins behind the next generation. So yeah. while there was a point there where it was getting away from them, maybe they're going to claw their way back up. Yep, they're only two and a half back per episode on points, too. I don't know, that's actually kind of a lot, but... Uh, TOS 717, that's not going to change. Enterprise 6, they are running out of time if they're going to pass the original series. Uh, yeah. May, really only barely possible now. They have, what, 15 or 16 episodes to do it. They need to notch 11 wins. Doesn't seem like... Uh, 97 is their last week. They have 13 episodes left. <laughs> so pro- probably not going to happen. They'd have to go on yes. quite a run. Definitely not. This seems unlikely, yeah. Uh... And uh, Voyager has two... While they technically have enough episodes to get all the way to number one, it uh, has never seemed less likely. It's probably going to need a lot more than the uh, two they got in world building this week. (laughs) It's not going to get it done. Oh, boy. Next week's a mailbag? Oh, yeah. It's been a while. So please send us mail, everybody. We are probably going to have to talk about Billy Joel. Oh, yes. Yeah, we will. (laughs) So we don't get to go off the clock. I know... How much you must you know have been what? looking forward to that. Uh, the idea of getting clips makes me very unhappy. Oh my god, I hadn't even thought about that. The idea of listening to it isn't so bad. Like, I can knock out the the bracket, but if I want to have clips... Yeah. That's going to be aggravating. <laughs> Should Could I not be. have mentioned it? Do you want to start the pod show over? Oh boy. So that I, I don't mention <laughs> clips? Listen... <laughs> I'd almost rather do another two hours and 12 minutes. <laughs> On these same four episodes. <laughs> yeah. And we'd probably knock it out in 150. We've already talked about them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then it'll be week 85. Mm. And in week 85, we are watching The Wounded. Oh, hell yes. Love it. Sons of Moog. That's uh, that's going to be, we're going to see some T-Todd again. He's just popping up all over the place. <laughs> He's all over this thing. Um. The Killing Game. I, I uh, warned you about this. I I cannot stress how bad that name of that episode feels to me. Well, I have warned you about this episode, I believe. I've warned you, but I'll check it. Let me check it real <laughs> quick. Oh, hold on. Let me do that. Uh, uh, Voyager. Some other things have been called that, I guess. Um, yeah, no, it's exactly the one I was worried about. So, you know, enjoy Nazis. And enjoy more Herogens. And Daedalus. I don't know what it is, but the next Enterprise episode is called Daedalus. By the way, the killing game is part one. That's a, It's a two-parter. The second part, vis-a-vis, is the same thing? Yep. God damn it. God damn it forever. Yeah, okay. So anyway, that's coming up. Um. So for the mailbag next week, send us mail. That's at, at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Uh, brothers at brother date for the email brothers at brother date.com I should say um, and you can go to brother date.com uh, are we going to put Billy Joel up there 
I don't know. Maybe. Because uh, that, that's an ongoing project that we could do. Otherwise, we got some of our old stuff up there and, of course, episodes. Um, uh, iTunes podcatchers that catch iTunes pods. Um, it's been a while since I've done that outro. That's it, everybody, right? That's everything? That's the whole thing? I'll start over. You want to start? Okay. Bye. Three, <laughs> two. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> Can we not invite invite Dr. Crusher? <laughs> She's Please. gonna She's gonna talk to me about kayaking. That's gonna look so weird. We're inviting the whole scene. No, no, no. Staff. She's really busy with I, the Juarez baby. I, I,